Welcome everyone to Let's Run.com After Dark. This is a truly special edition of the Let's Run.com podcast. I know we say that every week, but this one really is. We're recording now at 11 p.m. Central. Guys, Weldon is drunk. He meant 11 p.m. Eastern, but we'll allow it. Go ahead, Weldon. Well, you guys don't know what's been going on here behind the scenes, but just sort of like some of the stuff we've been talking about. We are drinking, but just I'm one beer in. I mean, maybe my age it's showing its effects, but some of the stuff Robert was just saying offline, if any of this is on the podcast... We'll be rich, but this could be the final podcast ever in the history of the show. But we have a great show for you today. It's historic. First of all, we have our first sprinter ever on the show. That's hard to believe. Let's Run.com, the premier, should, should I say it, the premier voice of track and field in the United States, for sure, distance running news. We've never had a sprinter on the podcast that I can think of. We have Tyree Washington, the 2003 world champion, joining us on the show. He's got one of the most... Truly unbelievable life stories. Grew up dirt, dirt poor, was in the Crips, was a bronze medalist at the age of 20, beating Michael Johnson that year, talking some trash to Michael Johnson. He then leaves track, tries to make the NFL, doesn't make it, comes back to track, wins the world championship, actually only because of doping. This guy lost millions of dollars because of dopers in his career. Not because he was doping, because his teammates were doping and guys ahead of him. I mean, you got to hear from him. And the guy's always got a smile on his face. It's very an uplifting story. I don't even know. Just listen to the interview with him. He's got a book coming out. It's great. But then we got a lot more to talk about. Big time track and field is back. We had a huge sprint meet in Florida, a distance meet in Oregon. We may have a 5K American record attempt this week. We got the Inspiration Games. That's the Velt Class A meet. On national TV tomorrow, Trayvon Bramell is back, Gabby Thomas is back, but I think maybe the big place, and this is probably where we should start, the Ivy League has canceled fall sports. Now you guys may think, oh, we have three Ivy Leaguers on this podcast, who cares? But like, this is the first Division One conference saying, we're not doing fall sports, so... That's really big news, because it infects the rest of the NCAA. Does the rest of the NCAA follow? Back in the spring, the Ivy League was the first to cancel basketball, and everybody soon followed suit. Guys, is that where we begin? My God, we're going to begin to begin with Ivy League stuff. John, was that intro a little bit long-winded? Weldon seemed... I mean, has he been drinking or something? I don't know what's going on here, folks. Well, Robert, I want to know, have you been drinking? You sent us a text before the show. You said... You know, we're like, Robert, you're going to be able to make this happen. You say, finishing up bottle number one of two will be a few minutes late. Explain yourself. John, I'm a father of a two-year-old. Maybe he shouldn't be up at 9.58 p.m., but he was up at 9.58, and he gets two bottles. I didn't apparently listen to the doctor at 11 months that you're supposed to cut the bottles off at 12 months, but supposed to be getting zero. He gets two to go to bed, so that was... Bottles of milk, John. Okay, milk. All right. Yeah, come on. Clarify. I mean, young young people, please don't abuse alcohol. It's a dangerous drug. Just like COVID, it's dangerous, but it's, you know, John, give me a little credit. Alcohol's two, two like COVID? Two, I'm not really buying your analogy. Maybe you're drunk, Robert. Two bottles is not like a lot for me, even at my age. Oh, we give parenting tips. Speaking of such, little baby Cece, my child, two months old today. Doctor said everything's great. Robert, she goes to bed at 7 p.m. and sleeps. I think she slept like 10 hours last night. Yeah, you guys want parenting tips? Email email me. And speaking of beer, 
The Beer Mile World Championships were this past weekend. The Beer Mile World Classic, technically. And we had a new women's world record. We can talk about that as well. John is cracking a beer. Let's Run.com after dark could be interesting. But maybe first, guys, we should introduce ourselves. We have all these like sprinters joining the podcast. And I would argue we this is the Let's Run.com is the premier. Should I say it? I don't know. Um, Look, no, let's just get out there. We like to pat. We like to pat ourselves on the back on this podcast. So, Weldon, if you want to say this is the best running podcast, just come out and say it. I was about to say that. We're the, we're the premier news source for running and track and field news in the United States. Maybe distance running, obviously. We've never had a sprinter on the podcast. But, hey, I'm Weejo, Weldon Johnson, one of the founders of Letron.com, joined by Robert Johnson, the former track coach at Cornell University, and Jonathan Galt, the brains, journalism degree from Syracuse, former Dartmouth runner. I used to be a good runner myself, but hey, none of that really matters. Just listen to what we're saying today. Well, if we're going to talk Ivy League, and we have all these sprinters joining the podcast to listen to Tyree, should we start with Ivy League sprint talk? Gabby Thomas, former Harvard star, has been cleared. But no, John, John wants to start with the news that the Ivy League has banned all fall sports. They've raised the white flag. They will not be competing in the fall in any sport. So, John, I'm on vacation this week. I haven't really read into the details of this, but I kind of saw this one coming when I heard that there was going to be an announcement at 4 p.m. And I'm like, wait a minute, didn't Princeton just say like a few days ago they're only letting the freshmen and juniors on campus? How are they going to have fall sports if they only have two classes there? So what's our take on this one? Yeah, it seemed inevitable. I mean, the Ivy League essentially in the press release said that, you know, there are restrictions on students and staff travel requirements for social distancing limits on group gatherings on campuses. And they're essentially saying, look, all this stuff applies to our athletes as well. We can't in good conscience send them out. I mean, this is not revenue is not really a factor here. And this is the interesting thing is this is the first division one conference that says their teams aren't competing, but they're not tied into their football teams making tons of money and dictating, you know, policy for their whole athletic department. So it's going to be interesting if this is the start of a trend or this is just a bunch of schools that have massive endowments that don't really care. To me, I think it's interesting because the Ivy League is a pretty good conference when it comes to running. They've sent four teams to the NCAA cross country the last couple of years. So their absence will be felt, but you know, it's, it's, could they be alone? They could be the only conference that does this, or it could be the start of a domino effect like it was during the indoor track season. Yeah, the Ivy League in the spring canceled their basketball tournament. And at the time, I actually wrote, I went to Yale, I wrote the Yale assistant athletic directors only because the Yale athletic directors' email wasn't online and said, This decision is ridiculous. Because at the time, the NCAA basketball tournament was going to be held the next week with fans. And I'm like, If you guys know something we don't know, you need to tell everyone and cancel everything or this decision doesn't make sense. So, and then the next week everything was canceled. So they were ahead of the curve this time. I'm not convinced they are because I'm pretty sure the big schools in the South want to have football. And I'm also pretty sure there's going to be an NFL season this year. So with football and all the money behind it, driving a lot of the decisions, it'll be interesting to see if everyone quickly follows the Ivy league uh, who knows what to think of it? Because now things are flipped, right? Like the Ivy League, the Northeast, got clobbered by COVID. And now, like I'm in Connecticut, we're the lowest rate of spread in the U.S. Yet we're they're canceling sports up here. Yet in the South, where COVID cases are, the number of positive cases are, are very high, but death rates are still very, very low. 
you know, sports in theory are going to go on there. So who knows what to make of it? Well, I think the worry here is you can't – Ivy League cross-country teams, their schedules, I guess they were considering a contingency plan of just having sort of local schedules, but they're not competing in a normal year against teams only from the Northeast. They're going all over the country. You might go out to Wisconsin and you've got teams from the South, you've got teams from the West, you've got teams from all over coming together in one place, and they're saying, look, to – ensure the safety of our campus we want people on campus if you're going to be on campus you're basically going to stay there the whole time we don't want you traveling around and risking spreading it to the rest of campus and that's the policy they've enacted here so are these schools going to test everybody before they show up on campus john do we know that i i i assume i assume so yes yeah no robert i think i read some some of the schools are going to test every student twice a week which seems excessive i'm like what how, how are you gonna pay for that are there that many tests available but i'm like what so and then i was reading something today i'm in connecticut and school summer school opened and like one teacher tested positive and they shut back down the school and i'm like that's what we're gonna do because europe got hit j- pretty much just as bad as the northeast of the united states soccer's going on in europe if a p- couple players test positive the team doesn't shut down they just quarantine the players who are positive and keep playing so there's obviously various aspects to here and i think the united states is very different because it's so big and the northeastern states got clobbered initially now they're doing very well the south didn't get hit now it's getting hit a bit more but deaths rates are very low so it's just we're still trying to make sense of it but all right guys this isn't that hard let's think about it this way they clearly want the money from I mean in an ideal world we would just take a hiatus for one year we would just ignore 2020 start up again next year we would take a year off and come back but you're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars of tuition money that would be down the drain etc even these schools with billions of dollars are trying to get their students back on campus or Princeton saying freshmen can come on campus juniors can come on campus etc so they're trying to sort of have their cake cake and eat it too like they want to get the money from the students but not put people at risk. The reality is, first of all, I want to say this. COVID is a deadly disease. And if, you, if you're if you not wearing a mask, like, come on, people, just put on a damn mask when you're in public. This isn't a big problem. Yes, I understand some people are comparing it to a mosquito and a chain link fence, but just get over yourselves. It's not that big of a deal. But in terms of the risk to young people, I said this to an email on the podcast that wrote us that was complaining, saying I was undermining COVID. I'm not undermining COVID. Over 100,000 Americans are dead. But for young people, this is still not proven to be a dangerous disease. I wish they had waited till the end of July to make this type of decision. We're going to know a lot more about the young people because tons of young people in Florida and Texas have gotten this disease. But John, you remember it. A few weeks ago, we got an email from a guy that was complaining about me downplaying COVID. And I said, I'm not downplaying COVID. I sent him some stats. He ended up being so persuaded by my email that he sent us a tip, right? True or false? Well, I, I think he was just angered that you were stating things as facts and presenting things as facts that weren't necessarily vetted, that could be open to interpretation. I wonder, I'm wonder. i worried that we're veering in that direction now. I think we have said our piece on the Ivy League. There is more to come on this subject. We should move on to why people listen to this podcast with actual running news. And we had a bunch of it Wait, the last week. So No, but, no, no, no. John, but I'm John, jumping in. 
this guy emailed us. He was oh, pretty upset. Lord. He said, you guys got to be careful. You don't want to go against health guidelines. I'm like, no, we're just discussing COVID with sports. We're sort of discussing COVID versus Europe and what's going on. Trying to keep it in sports context. He's just be, he's like, be careful what you said. We both wrote him back, me and Robert. Next thing we know, he's tipping the podcast. It was kind of crazy. We'll see if we, he can't take back his tips. I'm going to throw that. I want to test you guys. I want you guys to tell me. As of June 17th, oh. how many people in the United States under the age of 25 have died from COVID? This isn't why this isn't why we do the podcast. No one listening to this podcast right now I want cares you guys about to the tell answer me. to that question from us. No, it does. I agree with Walden here. At the time I said I'm ballpark, Walden, ballpark figure. Everybody less think than two hundred people had died under the age of twenty five. And less than one thousand under the age of thirty four. For comparison's sake, we lose 15,000 people a year under the age of 35 for suicide, 11,000 people per year that age for homicide, and 40,000 due to random accidents. So this disease is not dangerous in terms for young people. It, it just it really isn't. Now, the professors, yes, those are the people leading this, the administrators. You know, to be honest, you should probably have the cross-country season, have time trial starts, and have the graduate assistant coach the damn team or have the coach stand outside and stay at least 10 feet away from all these young people if he's over the age of 40. So take this stuff seriously. But right. I do think that these these schools are catering to the faculty and to the administrators. They know their salaries aren't going to get cut. In the real world, people are going to work because they need the money. The faculty, it's just sort of fascinating, Robert, to me that like the number was – 151. There's 103,000 people officially dead by CDC, and 151 were the age of 20, under the age of 25. Now, sure, these people can spread it to other people and that sort of stuff. It's just sort of interesting, right? The younger you go, elementary schools are having this debate everywhere. So, like, what should be done? And the Ivy League, these guys are viewed as very smart, and they they set their gender for a lot of stuff. It'll be interesting to see if this is followed because. For young people, the disease is not nearly as deadly. For young people, more people have died of the flu as of June 17th this year than COVID. So, it's- Okay, guys, and I don't want to be – enough COVID talk. I don't want to be accused of being COVID denier. John, I'm, I'm vacationing this week. That's why we're recording it late at night in Massachusetts. I've got to admit, admittedly, when I live in Baltimore, I don't go out but very often. But I've seen these, a few things on TV or on the internet about people going outside without masks. Massachusetts – at least where I am here in Cape Cod, we've rented a house. We only go out to the grocery stores. But every time I go out for a run or something, everyone's wearing a mask, John. I'm very impressed. And they had zero COVID deaths last week here in this state, or at least one day. So I've been actually running with a mask and pulling it up, John. This is what just – people, let's take this stuff seriously. But I, I still think that – I think that we could have had these some of these fall sports, or at least it's a little bit premature in that. But let's move on. Let's go to another Ivy League story since we're all Ivy Leaguers. Gabby Thomas of Harvard, the NCAA indoor record holder of 200 meters, she had been suspended for three for missing three drug tests. She claimed her innocence, and now, a few weeks after being suspended, or being provisionally suspended, she's been cleared. John, I want to know the details of this. To me, this is a huge, huge story. Why? Because the world's fastest man, Christian Coleman, the number one athlete in track and field, has also facing a provisional suspension for the same thing and to me how can someone get off like there should be no debate about this the drug tester was either where she was supposed to be or he was supposed to be to drug test you or they weren't 
They should not be making any mistakes. This should be a zero mistake type thing, particularly on three tests. What happened here? Tell us. Okay, Robert, it's interesting because there are some parallels to the Coleman case here. Essentially, the doping control officer, DCO, shows up at the dorms at Harvard, which is where Gabby was living. This dates back to her first test, her first missed test in April 2019. She was cleared because she provided extra evidence in June that she had not provided in her initial appeal. And that night, her window is from 9 to 10 p.m. She says she was at the movies. The DCO shows up. They say, hey, we need to test you. She's like, well, I can't make it. The DCO says this test was ordered by the AIU. According to the AIU, if you're not back within 10 minutes of me making contact, and again, it's important, the DCO called Gabby Thomas in this instance, and it was a test ordered by the AIU, and the whole Coleman thing hinges on the AIU tester not calling him. So it's kind of interesting to note the difference here. But anyway, they say, look, if you're not back in 10 minutes, it goes down to a missed test according to AIU rules. So Gabby's like, well, I don't know if I can be back in 10 minutes, but I'm going to try to be back. And she gets back before the ten, before her hour window is over. She's back before 10 p.m., but the DCO lists the te- test attempt as being over at 9.18 p.m. and left the site. And that is why she was cleared, is because according to the WADA rules, the DCO has to stay at the location for the entire one-hour window even if they receive information from the athlete that the athlete's not going to be get able to get back before the window's over. Wait, so there's a 10-minute window, some people thought, and some people said an hour? This is the confusion here, because from speaking exactly. to our agent Paul Doyle, the AIU apparently has some unpublished rules somewhere that state once contact has been made with an athlete, uh, the athlete's not at the location they say they're going to be in. The athlete has 10 minutes to get back or it goes down as a failed test. But this apparently does not jive with water rules, which is why there's an issue here. Okay, this is amateur hour. I mean, come on, people. The water rules are published in one thing, and this doping control officer is saying another thing, but now water admits this person was wrong. This is ridiculous. I've been ranting on this for weeks. There should be no debate with modern technology, GPS, we should know where everybody is. And the disappointing thing for this is this is test number. I still don't like, I still want to know what happened in test number three with Gabby. Like when you're sitting on two tests, your number one job as a professional athlete should be make sure you you are where you're supposed to be for one hour a day. But to me, this makes the, the like, why are they calling her, but they're not calling Christian Coleman. So you're going to call some Harvard sprinter, and give her a heads up, but you're not going to call the most important person in track and field when they're sitting on two missed tests. So either always call or never call, but don't call some of them and not others because then they're going to start expecting the calls. This does not make the anti-doping people look good in any shape or form to me. And this gives me, I don't want to say hope because I've lost some sympathy for Christian Coleman, but I, I want to see Christian Coleman competing at the Olympics. So I guess hope that he'll be cleared. Well, there are two points here Thank that, you, Robert. that you make. And one is there isn't the, Coleman. This is a different situation because Gabby Thomas, the reason she was cleared, she has an Uber receipt proving she was back before her window. Christian Coleman does not have that. The other thing is standardization of procedures, which I think is important because again, he was sitting on two missed tests, didn't get a call. She, this was her first missed test. And she did get a call. And the reason why he's mad is because he said he'd been getting calls from other DCOs. And now he suddenly doesn't get one. He was expecting that call to bail him out and it didn't come. Yeah, this is, I don't know. Well, first of all, I agree with Robert. I want, as a fan, I want Christian Coleman at the Olympics. I don't want him busted on some technicality, whatever. 
Having said that, I think the AIU is doing great things for anti-doping. It seems like they're not messing around. But at the same time, if you're the teacher who, like, is a disciplinarian and you think you take things too far and, like, start getting too technical, students might push back, not respect you. So they got to be careful. We need consistent rules everywhere. And, gosh, I mean, it's just tough because, like, they're showing that, like, look— we don't care who you are. Christian Coleman, the number one sprinter, the number one track and field athlete, arguably in the world. You misread test according to us, you're done. But now it looks like, hey, are these rules being followed? Are they consistent? So let's get this situated because right now the beauty of this is no one gives a shit about track and field. We're dealing with COVID. The Olympics are postponed for a year. So we've got some time to figure this out. For the sport to grow, though, we need people to think it's somewhat clean. Clean. We want clean sport. We're all athletes ourselves. We want a clean sport, but people do not think, like, this is ridiculously d- dirty. But the anti-doping in track and field is so much better than other sport, but, like, don't... It just needs to be consistently enforced. Yeah, I think the AIU, well, you, you said here, they have a tough job, and I do think, look, to their credit, they once they got this evidence, they realized they needed to drop the case against Gabby Thomas, and they did that. So, I applaud them for that, and you know, it, it's I, not easy. Well, it's easy to me. Like, like when I'm charging someone three missed tests, wouldn't I say, okay, I was at your house from between nine and 10 on these three days. Where were you? And shouldn't they provide all the receipts and everything they have? Like, I understand how we're getting additional evidence after the fact. This to me seems like it's, I, I know it's hard to have simple rules and that's why there's lawyers. My wife is a lawyer, but to me, there should really be no ambiguity in this. And yet we've got ambiguity all the time. But let's talk about something, some of the action that actually happened. We had some exciting action, a distance, I don't know if we want to call it a meet in Portland, a sprint meet in Florida. John, you can take control here. I mean, the the biggest story to me is Trayvon Bromel is back, baby. I mean, he ran 10.04 and 100. This is not like, there's no wind fakery or, you know, smoke and mirrors here like he ran 100 meters in 10.04 seconds win legal this is a guy who ran 9.84 seconds at the 2016 olympic trials when he was 20 years old i mean he's he's a humongous talent he's already medaled at the world championships he's still only 24 he turns 25 on friday i mean legitimate olympic medal contender next year especially given the uncertainty of the 100 i mean gatlin's going to be 39 next year coleman is currently provisionally suspended I mean, this to me is a huge, huge deal. It was World Indoor Champion in 2016. You guys got to be excited about this, right? Oh, yeah, I'm excited. I'm a huge Trayvon Bromel fan. And, well, one, he's a huge talent. Like, what, 984 is a 20-year-old? Is that what you said, John? Wow, right. I didn't realize he was that young. But at the, wow, well, 2016 Olympics, the last Olympics we had, Bromel was injured. He ran the trials, and then he's kind of limping through afterwards. And you're like, what's wrong? He had an Achilles problem. He then runs the Olympics, makes the final somehow. He's not looking good. Finishes dead last, right, John, in the 100-meter final? And yeah, then He still ran 10 6 but yes, dead lost. <laughs> That's kind of crazy. But then I'm like, okay, he could barely walk. I think, I'm like, this guy, he gets last he's a much better athlete than that. So I'm like, he's off the four by one. They then put him on the four by one. He runs that. And I think U.S. got DQ'd. Is that correct, John? They did. Also, I got a shout out. Sorry. 
I did, I sold him short. He ran nine eight four when he was nineteen. That's absurd. Yeah. So the U.S. gets DQ'd. They're in disarray. We're in this at the Olympic Stadium, and the team's coming through, and it's like Gatlin. I don't even know who the other guys are. And Bramell, like, now can't even walk, essentially. He comes hobbling through the backwards through the mix zone to get with his teammates. He's like this young kid. Now he's probably 20, and he wants to be with him. And they kind of blow him off, and he starts, he does this interview with me, and I'm like, this guy is a warrior. Like, he could barely walk, and he was so pissed off. The teammates kind of ignored him. Cause, and I'm like, this guy, I'm like, he probably shouldn't have been. At the time, I'm thinking, like, should he even be running? He couldn't even walk. I'm like, I don't know how he even made it through the race. Fast forward three years, he pretty much hasn't finished a race since then. I mean, a le- like a legitimate world-class time. Indoors, he comes back for New Balance Indoor Games, talks a big game beforehand, gets, I think, last place there. And you're just, uh, then I started thinking, like, oh, my gosh. Did he, like, people are always like, oh, why do these athletes skip the meets? They should be tougher. Just compete. I'm like, did his toughness cost him his career? So to see him back today, it's just it's uplifting because Trayvon Brumell is a warrior, and now with the Olympics in twenty twenty one, he could be the new Olympic favorite. I don't know if I go that far, but you know the the big thing is this is one result. Coleman and, gone. Look, but here's Gatlin's the thing: year older. Well, then he has not been healthy for almost four years. Okay, he's been through injury hell with his Achilles issue. He needs to show he can stay healthy. But I think right, this guys. was very promising, and I'm excited yet to see again, what you can do. Yet again, this is affirming my brilliance yet again. Talent does not go away. What is my favorite saying in track and field? Talent does not go away. I'll admit, I thought after this indoor thing, John profiled him, what, in January? Yeah. I was all excited. Bromel is coming back. He's running the New Balance Indoor Grand Prix. He runs the 224th fastest time of the year. It was an embarrassment. I'm like, oh, my God, I think... He's injured. He's screwed. He's done. Now he's come back and run well. But I do, I'm always a little skeptical of everything, John. First of all, a couple other guys ran faster than him, but they had a 4.0 meter per second wind in a different heat. What was his wind in this heat? And have we seen a video of this? Is this one of those Flojo situations where somebody stands in front of the wind gauge to help him get a contract extension or something? Has anyone seen this race? I've, I've seen video of it. It was, you know, pretty amateur video but i didn't see i mean i didn't see anyone looking standing in front of the wind gauge it was a plus 1.16 wind officially it was at that claremont track which usually produces fast sprint times but again it's wind legal i mean i don't know it seems pretty legit to me so what was that other action there john fill our viewers in yeah, so you mentioned those other fast hundreds. That would be a couple guys you probably heard of. Noah Lyles, 993. Justin Gatlin, 999. Now, those were with big wins, plus four tailwind. And they're in the same race. So Lyles actually beat Gatlin head-to-head. Then you had some other stuff. Another really big talent, Shikari Richardson. You may remember she ran 1075 last year in NCAAs to win the 100. There's an NCAA record. Everyone's like, oh, she's the next big thing in sprinting. Then she does basically jogs in the USA final once she realizes she's not going to make it. Um, but she's still only 20 years old and she runs 1094 in the hundred with a 2.8 tailwind. So, you know, a little over the legal limit, but that's good run for her. Shawnee Miller Weibo is in action. She run, she won the 200 and the 400 times when anything crazy, but it's good to see her. And the other thing I, we should mention 
Bromel in the race he in his hundred, he beat Andre de Grasse, who, in case you forgot, is the reigning bronze medalist in the hundred meters at both the Olympics and the World Championships. De Grasse ran ten fifteen, and Bromel ran ten oh four. So he's also got a head to head victory over this guy. They've always been linked. They're in co- they ran against each other in college. They shared the bronze medal at twenty fifteen world. So it's not like he was just you know racing scrubs there. So that that was sort of the interesting beats coming out of that sprint meet down in. Uh, Claremont. John, you mentioned the name Shawnee Miller way about, again, I'm on vacation, but I saw something on the website today that, you know, she's obviously a great 200, 400 runner. She wanted to double at the Olympics. They have announced that, you know, the schedule is set. And if she wants to double, she's going to have to run the 200 and the 400 at least once or one time on the same day. So she'd have to run the 400 first round in the morning of the 200 final they did schedule the events almost 12 hours apart, but she's not happy about this. I think she said she's going to focus on the 200. Is that right? That's what she seems to be leaning towards. That's what she told the Nassau Guardian. But I'm just going to okay, say right so, now, that, oh, go, Robert, go ahead. I was very surprised by this. First of all, they've tailored the schedule in the years past for Allison Felix and Michael Johnson. I wish they would do it for her. But I understand that it's harder because they've now come up with this mixed gender 4x4. So you can't – it's almost impossible to have nothing overlap. If you're going to have the 4x4s, male, female, mixed gender, 200s, 400s, et cetera. But to me, I was surprised by two things. One, I know the 200 was a little weak at Worlds last year, but she's known primarily to me known as a 400-meter runner. So with Al Nasser, the woman who beat her at the 400 – out with doping, why wouldn't she run the 400? She'd cruise the gold medal there. So I think she should do the 400 if she's only going to do one event. But two, I don't think it's that much for her, as good as she is at the 400, to run, what, a 52, 53-second jog it in the first round and come back and run the 200 final. So I don't have a lot of sympathy about her complaining the schedule's not changed for her. I think this schedule is doable. We're already watering down these 4x400 gold medals. To me, this is a reasonable compromise without looking at all the schedules. By the way, if you have some simple plan that could fix this, email us, let's run at let'srun.com. We will try to get this to the appropriate people. But what do you guys think about my take there? Look, here's the simple plan. You get rid of this freaking 4x4 mixed gender relay. This thing's a joke. I've been saying it since the world's last year. And look, if I was a conspiracy theorist, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not really, but this is kind of a fun one. I would say the IOC is just in the pocket of Allison Felix because who does the mixed gender 4x4 benefit? Allison Felix. She can get another easy gold medal to add to her tally. Everyone, you know, applauds her and loves her. And who does it hurt? Sure name. And they also, they changed the schedule for Allison Felix in 2016. She didn't even make the US team in the 200. They won't change it for Shawnee Miller-Webo, who we know will make the Bahamian team in the 200 and 400. John, it's just a joke. Last time I checked, the NBC pays a lot more money than the Bahamas television station. Bahamas Broadcasting, BBC, oh, they're big time, man, Robert. John, John, what did they do for Felix in 2016? They changed the schedule when Allison Felix requested a change in 2016. Here's a question I have. Do you know that these marketing companies analyze people and how popular they are? Is Allison Felix really that popular, or is she someone that sort of NBC promotes as popular? I think she is that popular because she seems to be one of the few 
track and field athletes that sort of has some sort of mainstream following. I mean, I'll see articles about her on ESPN. Like if you asked just random people to name a track and field athlete, I feel like in the United States, she's probably the go-to. She has 702,000 followers on Instagram. I can't imagine anyone other track athlete. Yeah. And I guess we've had this conversation, right? She gets a big cheer at Melrose. If you're like, and if we took a sound meter of the Melrose games, hers would be one of the loudest. Yeah. But no, that's look, that's a conspiracy theory. The real reason here, look, the four by four mixed gender, who who cares about this thing? I saw it in Doha last year. Really wasn't that great. Doesn't really move the needle for me. I would much rather see Shawnee Miller Weebo try to become a legend, like uh like Michael Johnson, like Marie Jose Perec. The 200-400 double, completing that will be amazing. The Olympics are supposed to be the best of the best. The mixed gender four by four clearly is not. Shawnee Miller Weebo going for the 200 400 double clearly is. That's my take on this. John, but if it's good for the Olympics, I'm for the mixed gender thing. Like if it's going to give us more publicity, more sponsors, whatever. Is it though? My take was have one or the other, have the mixed gender or the males and the females. I, I do feel like it's kind of just a cop out to give another gold medal to somebody, particularly Felix, but they can market it to these feel good companies. As I, I think that part of the belief is here that men and women are equal. We all know that that's not true in sports, but we wish it was in society as a whole. So I think this is sort of, they're trying to catch on this, that type of, of movement. But let's talk about the distance action, John. There was another meet in Portland because I've got a hot take and I need you to first explain to people what happened in Portland before I tie everything we've been talking to together in one hot take that I've heard from no one in the world yet. Let me jump in. I'll explain what happened. Sure, there are some other events. This meet essentially was a Bowerman Track Club intra-squad meet. I was about to say time trial, but it's Wait a minute. We meet. talked about this last week, Weldon. He's talking about the, the big friendly, the Donovan Brazier. This is what we want to talk about here. Oh, wait. I forgot, actually. The Oregon Track Club was there as well. <laughs> Bowerman Track Club is Jerry Schumacher, Weldon. Yeah, we're talking about zombie NOP here. You're talking about the the team formerly known as the Nike Oregon Project. Oh, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm thinking Weldon about the Weldon is drunk. Guys, for, forgive him. He's going to make some mistakes. Let's run.com after dark. Exactly. Um, wow. Yeah. I'm like, no, no one actually, excuse me. This has nothing to do with Bowerman Track Club. So the NOP, I'm just, Brazier, that's a B. That's the common denominator here. <laughs> it's Donovan Brazier went out and dropped a 335. 1,500 meters, and it looked like he was jogging. Like, he won by three seconds. He sat behind the Oregon Track Cup guys to 300 to go. He looks like he's jogging, and then he, like, just accelerates. It's a 52-second last lap. He, he drops a 335. It was just beautiful. I mean, he's the world champion, American record holder at 800. He's never run that fast at 1,500, and he made it look Super, super easy. And on last week's Let's Let's Run Come Track Talk podcast, Dwayne Solomon, the great Dwayne Solomon, number three all-time American at 800, said, hey, I want to see what Donovan can do at 1,500. And everyone kind of laughed at him. Well, (laughs) this was pretty impressive. One week later. And the interesting thing, the biggest takeaway I had, I've had some time to digest it now. Pete Julian spoke to, uh, I believe, Jeff Merrill, who was with Portland Track, he wrote an article in Tempo Journal, 
And I'm just going to quote the excerpt that I found relevant. Coach Pete Julian told us, as fit as Brazier was in 2019, finishing workouts that Julian had never even heard of other runners accomplishing, he is a level above that fitness this season, and we can expect to see more fireworks ahead. And they said Brazier said he's got no intention of moving up to the 1500 at this point. But that excites me. And that was this. I tweeted this a few weeks ago, guys. One of the big shames of 2020 is we're losing a year of Donovan Brazier in his prime. Donovan Brazier, one of the most electrifying athletes in all of track and field right now, and not having him able to go out and kick people's asses in the Diamond Leagues and go to the Olympics this year, it's just a bummer. But Robert, I want to hear your hot take that ties everything together. Well, before I get to that, John, you wrote a brilliant recap of this race where you pointed out a very key thing. This is going to lead into my hot take. Brazier's last lap, his first 1100 was almost exactly the same. The Barrelman Track Club, which Weldon was talking about, coached by Jerry Schumacher, Lopez LeMong and what, uh, Josh Simpson? Or, Josh right? Thompson. Josh Thompson. Sorry, Josh Simpson was another old guy. They ran a 1500. Josh Simpson, my former roommate in Flagstaff, I think you yeah. mean. So they ran a 1500 about a week before. They hit 1100 meters at the same exact time as Brazier. Except they only ran 339. Because they ran like a 56 last lap, right, John? 55, I think, yeah. 52. So when I read that, I was like, well, John, there's a reason why we pay him. This is so impressive. But then I thought, I'm like, wait a minute. Our sport is a joke. And this is Rojo's hot take for the week. Rojo's rant, folks. If you're a newcomer, I have a rant at least once a week. I need a voiceover. Rojo's rant. John. What is the the big theme combining the sprint meet and this Portland meet? The big theme is even in during COVID-19, even in like exhibitions, the big stars avoid each other. This is a joke. Noah Lyles and Justin Gatlin are in different heats. They were in the same heat, Robert. I literally said this like 10 minutes ago. Yeah, what's so, he going to do now? No, he just threw no. up his rant. This is great. Recover, <laughs> no. Robert. Recover. So Lyles and Gatlin were in the same heat? Lyles and Gatlin were in the same heat. But the, but the other two guys were not in the same they heat. They didn't run the final. They did not run the final. Fair enough. Bromel and DeGrasse were also in the same heat. So please, continue, Robert. No, I know, but the four, why weren't the four of them in the same heat? I don't know. Maybe they wanted to be socially There distant. were heats in the final, Robert. A lot of them didn't run the final. That's what you're getting at. Okay, I'll, I'm just saying, I would like to see how four of these guys run one race. Like I, I don't get it. I, I saw a race from Claremont, Florida. There's four sprint stars, and I'm like... They can't even race each other in a freaking scrimmage. Like, give me a break. And I understand you want to focus on your form and yourself. You don't worry about somebody else. I get it, but it's not good for fans. And then I see this meet. We're talking about a Nike scrimmage between two of their clubs, but they have a third club that's based at the Nike campus as well, and they don't even bother to show up. Why did the Bowman Track Club run its own time trial last week, and then Pete Julian's group runs a different time trial this week? I know that Alberto Salazar and Jerry Schumacher hate each other, and don't get along. But Alberto Salazar has been banned from the sport, so why does that bad blood extend between Julian's group and Schumacher's group? Like, why couldn't we have Brazier smoking Lopez LeMong and Simpson? Like, our sport is Thompson, a joke. Thompson, Robert, Jesus, come on, man. Thompson, whatever. <laughs> the guy that can dunk a freaking he's only, basketball. He's only the national champion in the 1500. No, I love him. Hills. He's... The Christian guy that can dunk a basketball. I don't need to know whether his name is Thompson or Simpson. You I kind of do, Smith. Robert. I love I, names are nothing, John. I know who he is. And, 
John, in fairness, Josh Simpson, my former roommate in Flagstaff, kind of looks like Josh Thompson. So shout out to Josh Simpson. He's a podcast listener. No, Robert, you're you're ascribing this to some squabbling and that they don't like each other. Like, no, I'm not ascribing to anything. I'm just saying, why? If you're Jerry Schumacher and you're at Nike or you're Pete Joy and you think, okay, I'm going to have a time trial, wouldn't you like walk down the hall and go to Pete Joy and say, hey, you guys want to do something? Instead, you're like, no, I'm going to do it with my own guys and not involve you. I get it when when Alberto's there and Alberto like basically wants to get rid of Jerry and fire the whole group and get rid of them because he's still mad that Chris Zielinski beat Galen Rupp in this 26-59 race eight years ago or 10 years ago. But come on, people. Like, it just seems weird to me. Like, this is crazy. Like, nobody races each other even when it's a joke. I mean, I'm going to cut them some slack here. There's more that goes into staging these meets and getting everything right than we than we know about. So I'll give them some slack. I agree. I think that should be ideal, especially when you've already got the OTC group coming in from Eugene. They're not even the same town as the Zombie NOP to come race you guys. So I would like to hope that at some point we can have all three guys, all three teams racing each other. Maybe you get a DMR in there. I think it'll be fun. But I don't know the specifics of why this isn't happening, so I'm not going to speculate right now. Speaking of the BTC, is it true that they've stolen my idea of having an American record attempt in the 5,000? And it's going to happen this week. Robert, I can't even tell you that it hasn't. It may, may have already happened. This is how secretive these meets are now that we don't even know when or what. Like the Brasia thing, that didn't come out until Sunday because they tried to keep it under wraps officially. You know, we, we had some message board... Uh, Truth is out there spreading the news. But Wait, it's, it's me spreading the news. I have a source that is never wrong on anything. I should have this source on the podcast, but then everybody knew who he was or she. Okay. Well, anyway, the reason why we're excited about this BTC record attempt is Bauman Track Club today, Wednesday evening on Instagram, they post last week, Sean and Grant, Sean McGordy, Grant Fisher scored a huge PBs in the 5K with a little help from Mo and Lopez, Mo Ahmed and Lopez Lamont. And then they say, this week the favor gets returned as Mo and Lopez take center stage. So we're expecting, seems like it's going to be a fast 5K for those guys. And then word on the street is the, pa- word on the, street is the pace will be chili pepper emoji, which translates as spicy, I believe maybe hot. And then they say, we've got the same switcheroo planned for Shelby and Carissa in the women's 5k. And the reason why I'm more excited about this uh, women's 5k, because Shelby is the American record holder, Carissa Schweizer, you know, beat her. She's the American record holder in the 3k indoors, beat her indoors. And Shalane Flanagan kind of teased this on Twitter as well, that the American record, you know, Flow Track posted a video of Shelby breaking it in 2018. And then Flanagan said hey, it might not be for long. So I think it's going to be very interesting to see what the paces are for these ones, how fast each of them can get to uh, the American records. Okay. I'm very excited about this because I was like, why is Lopez LeMong and these guys wasting their time in a 1500? Why is Houlihan running with 402 for 1500? I don't, it doesn't do anything for me. That makes sense now. They're getting the speed out, getting just a rust buster in, and now they're going for the American record, at least in the women's 5,000, and certainly probably a, a big PR in the sub-13 in the men's 5,000. I'm excited about that. Very excited. Okay, so let's discuss this women's 5K. 
We've got Shelby Houlihan versus Carissa Swisher. Now, usually I think the layman's analysis would be Houlihan cleans her clock, right? Well, if you but, want to ignore what happened in February, Schweizer beat—I mean, Schweizer beat Schweizer beat her. up in a three k. Everyone would think that. That's Shelby what I'm saying. And who's got better endurance, Shelby Houlihan versus versus Schweizer? Just who's more long distance? Who's the more short distance? Schweizer, Schweizer is distance. more long distance oriented, but right. obviously Shelby has the American record. You know, she's not she's so not like, slouch. Shelby, Shelby is one best cross in ten k. Right. My gut instinct. Oh, she did. Oh, good point, John. But gut instinct. Houlihan always wins this one. But I'm like, wait, she lost at 3K. Schweizer's very good at longer distances. She probably should beat her at 5K too. Do you really think? She, who do you think the favorite in this race is? Is I mean, this is the, this is why it's exciting because a few months ago we just said this is boring. This is going to be Houlihan going for the record. Schweizer seems she can hold on. Now it's a legitimate race and. I don't know because I don't know what they've been doing at altitude. Maybe this lit, maybe getting beat indoors lit a fire under Houlihan. She's like, no way, she's taking my status as top dog of this group. I'm gonna go out there and beat her. I I don't know. I mean, do you do you think Schweizer like Houlihan clearly has the resume? She's got all these national titles. Schweizer's never won a U.S. national title. I don't know. I don't. I really don't know who I should who I should pick as the favorite here. I can't. Based on that race in Boston, I kind of lean towards Schweizer, but I don't know what's happened in the last three months. This is why it's exciting to me. Did Schweizer race last week, John? Yes, she got beat by Houlihan by a little bit in the in the fifteen hundred. There was a big PR for her. Big P- she ran PR four hundred two, which is pretty good. I think Roland's right? raised an interesting thing here. I think of Houlihan; she's won everything in the U.S. for two, three years. Oh my gosh, she's going to stop her. But Walden's making sense. Wait. Schweizer beat her in 3K, and she's more of a long distance runner. How crazy it would be the next podcast, Carisha Schweizer is the U.S. 5,000-meter record holder. Well, Robert, I, I have one more variable to throw into the mix here. It's been a while since we've talked about shoes, but I, I posted on Twitter this attempt might be going down, Bauman's teasing it, and then I get a response from McCurdy Trained on Twitter, and they're saying, what if they're running these? Nike has a bunch of, you know, what if they run these in prototype spikes? Is this going to record going to be allowed? Because, you know, now World Athletics has this new rule on the book saying that products must be out. They must be out for four months or whatever before they're eligible to use. Is this going to be a factor? Oh, that my God. To talk about? There, I've hated COVID. It's been terrible. But the one good thing from COVID is like we, Quit talking about the damn effing vapor flies. And now the effing shoe talk is back. Oh, man. No, John. We can't go there now. Can we just ignore this part I'm of the will- I'm totally willing to ignore this if you are. Oh, maybe so. I thought about it, though. I've been running more. Okay. Podcast listeners, LRC followers. In-person races seem to keep falling by the wayside. We just we need like a badass like virtual race series or something. Somebody send me ideas. We'll take this nationwide. I have an idea right now. Broadcast it to everyone. Hold on, wait a second. But then I started thinking about this like virtual racing. How do you time stuff? And I'm like, wait, the road surface makes a difference. What if you had a road that was like super springy? There's just all sorts of shit you can do with like roads, shoes, whatever. Running should be about like who's the best 
on that day. But if you got great ideas about virtual races, send me to it because all of America this fall needs some like badass virtual race series, crazy stuff to do. Send it to me. I'll take your idea. We'll all get rich off this thing. Let's go. Speaking of getting rich, folks, if you haven't signed up for the Let's Run.com coaching program, let's run.com slash coaching. I was shocked. We had a few people sign up this week. I'm on vacation. I've had, I spent like hours on end, like giving them details. A couple studs. I Olympic quality talent. Like a ninth grader that's run like 930. Isn't that pretty good? Like, I mean, I don't want to be throwing around the phrase Olympic quality, but yes, that's very good for a freshman. But it takes me a lot of time to do this stuff, folks. Walden's right. The way to make money is the virtual race, and I have the virtual race idea of a lifetime. Do you guys know there's a virtual race across Tennessee right now that's going on? It's a thousand kilometers. And that guy uh, who made the John, but Laz, Lazarus Gary Lake. Kentra, yeah, he's raked in more than a million dollars. There's like nineteen thousand people. What? Yes, nineteen. Is this true, John? Yes, nineteen thousand people have paid sixty dollars each to run across Tennessee virtually. So I want to have... Oh, shit. I shouldn't say this on the podcast because people are going to steal my idea. This is copyrighted. Keep it secret. Keep it secret. No. Email us privately, people. We'll come up with the best virtual race ever. I have several. Blow this Ro- out. Robert has... Look, Robert, Forget I'm about the NYRR. Soon, do you think Letchrunner.com will be like the sixth marathon major? Nobody has the guts to do what I'm going to do. Before this podcast, Robert produced one of the greatest ideas. Like, he has a lot of harebrained, get-rich-quick schemes, but this virtual race idea I actually do think was brilliant. It's up to you if you want to share it right now, Robert. People think, because my my dad is George Bush's good friend, that I'm a far-right-winger. Not true. The I Hate Donald Trump virtual race. And... I don't know if we have time between now and Inauguration Day. You run from Mar-a-Lago up to Washington, D.C. That's almost exactly a 1,000 miles. So I think that's a little bit lot. That's for the hardcore. That's for the hardcore. That's about five miles a day. Boom. For the lower people, you know, for the beginners, you can join in. We run from Washington, D.C. to the Trump Tower and put him back in office. It's about like 200, 300 miles. I think this, if if someone steals this idea from me, I'm going to sue them. My wife's a lawyer. Don't steal. Uh, John, I think what? Five, ten million dollars. We give some money away to like some charity cause, like Laz supposedly does. But basically, look, advertising is down. We're hurting. My son needs to go to preschool soon. I need money. <laughs> this venture cannot fail. Even John likes it, right? I'm becoming uh, whoa. Robert. Beforehand, if we're going to go there, we might as well. We're throwing it out. I said, oh, yeah, well, from, okay. If, DC to Florida is too far. And then we're like, okay, we'll get people to sign up. How do we do it? We're like, DC to like Leavenworth Prison. And I'm like, okay, that's in Colorado. That's too far. I thought Leavenworth I'm now was looking in at the, uh, oh, oh, is it Kansas? I thought it was in Colorado. Where is this? Excuse me. Um, now I'm looking. There's a federal prison in Allenwood, Pennsylvania. And we'll charge like people, you know, extra. If you want to go to short distance, you got to pay extra to put them there. And then if you want a free Trump, you know, like you can run to Canada no, or something. You want to encourage people to get to the, to the border. We'll put a border wall race. I think you charge. Holy like, shit. Is this the end of let's run.com right now? No, you charge like a hundred dollars. If you're going to do, you charge like $200 from DC to New York. And then like a hundred dollars. If you're willing to run from Mar-a-Lago all the way to DC, like, or, or vice versa, because to, to encourage you, like, like, maybe it's $200 for everybody, but if you actually do the full distance, we give you $100 back to encourage you to get in shape. 
Okay, brilliant idea. Let's put a pin on that. We got some more running stuff to talk about. Ro- Robbie, we've got like a bonus. I think we have a bonus rant or two from you this week. You have a, bo- you have a rant about Usain Bolt's daughter. You have a rant about my interview with Dwayne Solomon. I mean, let- let's hear it. Well, it's interesting. I mean, I, I, I first of all, Usain Bolt has announced the name of his daughter in the picture, right? That's right. And... John, help me out. Her name is Olympia Lightning Bolt. I mean, first of all, this name is an all-time great name. Like, Usain Lightning Bolt. I mean, that's what everyone thinks of him as the lightning pose. He owns it. He gives her that as the middle name, Olympia. Olympics. Brilliant. I love the name. Beautiful name. But at the same time, this is a guy that says, you know, are you going to put your kids in sports? I actually kind of like his responses, but for me, if they want to do sports, that's fine. I don't really care, but I don't want to push them to do track and field. I think it's going to be too hard. If you, I think it's the hardest thing ever when you have a dad that's a superstar in a super sport. I don't think you should do that sport. I think you should do something else because there's so much pressure on you to live up to expectations. I mean, so to me, this is a little bit in contradiction to that. I mean, he's saying there's too much pressure and expectations to, live up to, to this, but then he names her Olympia. Lightning bolt, John? Am I off on this? No, you're right. I mean, it's it's like you said, it's a kick-ass name, but it's also a name that carries a lot of expectations. Maybe she goes by Pia Bolt and, you know, something like that. She doesn't... But I, I think it's Olympia. set up for, for forever. She could be an Instagram, YouTube star. Like, all she has to do is just take out a channel with her name on it. People will watch it. Like, she's set for life. If, if, if Hussein declares bankruptcy, she can make the family money's back. I found out today my two-month-old daughter... At the checkup, she's like, I was going to say 105 percentile in height. That really means 99 percentile, I guess, but it was like off the chart. So does that mean basketball for her? Like what track event should she do? Maybe a long high high jumper. High jump. Yeah. I never thought. I just kind of figured she had to be a runner, but okay, cool. Okay, John. And I love the work you do. You have a master's in journalism, but, and I love your interviews. Last week you did, and this is, not a, this is actually a serious, somewhat serious conversation. We've obviously had a lot of problems in America or in the last few months. Constructive problems, I think we're heading in, in the good direction. But you interviewed Dwayne Solomon last week, and he's. it's interesting to me. We have a, an Olympian, a great guy, great interview. He's going into law enforcement, and you asked him sort of what is your job, but you didn't ask him like, hey – to me, the obvious question was, like, as an African-American, like, are you sort of inspired? Do you view this as you can help change the complaints we have about police brutality and, and, and the disrespect of the police and et cetera? You sort of just focus on what would his job be? And he sort of said, well, I'm kind of scared to be police. It's dangerous right now. Maybe I'll go into corrections instead of actually being a police officer. I thought you left one on the table there to see if maybe he – would really want to make change admittedly at a, at a great risk to his, his personal safety. Yeah. I'll take the L on that one. I probably should have dug a little deeper because yeah, it definitely was interesting to me that Dwayne was, you know, he, he was considering being a cop and then sort of given the current climate in which we live, he decided to be corrections officer instead. Uh, I think that's a fair point, fair criticism at the interview. But, you know, I mean, I think that obviously I think only the radical people think we don't need police. And who who would be a cooler cop? Like, if you know, I think the cops need to do more community policing where they're friendly, they're viewed as friends that can help you. And 
you know, if you're a teenager in some inner city, how cool would it be to have the Olympian come by on his beat and, you know, give you a high five? I guess you can't do a high five now during COVID, but maybe in a few years you could, you know, well-spoken college grad, like cool dude that was in the Olympics. Like it would be, I don't know. I, I think he'd be an amazing cop or corrections officer. This podcast is running a little bit long, guys. I won't do my other rants. I thought about bringing up Colin Kaepernick in his July 4th tweet and tying it to George Washington, but I don't want to do it after dark. If I'm going to think a week, I may bring it up next week. But um, that'll be in a pay-per-view podcast. I think we'll go there with that. But, hey, I'm kind of disappointed. We can, we can go both ways with this podcast. America seems very divided, left versus right. I guess we're going to have the run against Trump. So maybe this is also left as well. But like, my name is Weldon Johnson. Do you guys, I'm very prominent right now. Do you guys know anything about me? Oh, I've always, I, I do. I don't think Jonathan does. John, well, I, I my think I've heard historic. this come up. What, wasn't there, I don't know if the person's name was Weldon Johnson or if it was like John Weldon Johnson. Am I getting this right? I I feel like it's come up. Wow, at John, some I'm very point. impressed because we did not prep this at all. The man's name was James Weldon Johnson. John, you're a big NFL fan. What have you heard about the NFL in the last week? Patrick Mahomes signed a mega deal. Cam Newton's uh, going to the Patriots. Prior to that, prior to that, prior to that. Uh, they're changing. They want to change the name of the team in Washington. Uh, before that, like, what are they going to do? Just get specific one, here. What, what are, are you saying? Week one, what are they doing, John? Are they going to do the national anthem? I assume anthem, they're going to be having a lot of people take the knee. Right, but have you heard about the Black National Anthem? Oh, I did hear that. Yeah, yeah. They're playing the Black National Anthem before the game. Right. The author of the Black National Anthem is my namesake, James Weldon Johnson. I wish I could kind of say my parents knew who he was, but I bet you they have no idea. But James Weldon Johnson, a prominent prominent African-American civil rights activist, he like had he's head of the NAACP, Pointed to positions by Teddy Roosevelt. I mean, he was like a total pioneer. He wrote autobiography, The Ex-Colored Man. Like, he wrote the, all this stuff. He was the author of this. I don't know. It's like, it's not official, but the like African-American national anthem. So it's going to be played before NFL week one. And I just, being named Weldon Johnson, I thought it was cool. And it's kind of crazy because only two times in my life have I had anyone ever recognize my name. Once was at the World Relays in the Bahamas. And this woman's like, Weldon Johnson? She's like, what? And I'm like, huh? She's like, yeah, yeah. And she immediately started talking about James Weldon Johnson. He's from here. And I'm like, no, no, no. He's an American guy. Sure enough, James Weldon Johnson's father from Bahamas. And I was on hold with a guy from a Verizon rep one time. And he's like, he could tell I was a white guy. And he goes, wow man your parents and i'm like no 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 they have no clue and no one else has ever had a clue so two times in my life but it's i just thought it was cool so the unofficial black national anthem james Wilson johnson we played before nfl week one well i have three prominent african-americans with the same name as me i get it all the time actually robert johnson the inventor of the blues all the time people say that to me i mean i would say once every quarter at least three or four times a year that happens to me and then we have 
Robert Johnson, the BET multimillionaire. He used to be a billionaire. I think he's dropped off the billionaire list. And then we have Robert Johnson, the Oregon track and field coach. So I'm like, at best, the fourth most famous Robert Johnson in this world. That's being generous, Robert. Yeah. I I, I mean, speaking of being named for things, what I th- I'd say one out of every three or four people I meet brings up Ayn Rand's Atlas Shrugged because John Galt is a central character slash concept in that novel. I've never read it. My parents hadn't either, but that's something that comes up a decent amount with me. Never read it, John. You probably should read it. I swear to God, I saw a John Galt bumper sticker in my town. Is that only because I live in a suburb of New York City where a lot of finance guys live who might be... I, I once got a oh, text shit. message this... from Dathan Ritzenhain who sent me... Someone had that bumper sticker and he sent it to me. He's like, oh, see, what look what I saw today. So it's it's all over the country. It's interesting, but my whole life I've gotten the Robert Johnson, the Blues Inventor all the time. But in the last two weeks, I've gotten two emails... I guess Robert Johnson, the BET founder, was in like CNN or something. I don't know where he was. But people have somehow tracked down my email address. Two people like heartfelt sending me emails about how I can change the world and how I need to run for president as like a third-party person. It was pretty interesting. Well, Robert, can you, can you still – I mean, can you still run this, like this term? Well, they have been mistaken for the prominent businessman. No, but like, I mean, people are like, they're announcing for president. Kanye right. just announced. So. Of course, Robert can announce if he wants. Kanye, Robert, go for it. Just skip the Baltimore mayor stuff. You should go for it. I mean, I've heard, John, do you remember Keisha Bottoms at the Olympic Marathon trials? She was there. She, they had the mayor there. I thought she was great. I was like, okay, the mayor share is cool. She's supporting track and field. She's on like the short list for. Vice president for Joe Biden, and there's a lot of speculation that Biden won't run two terms. So, if assuming she drops out or Biden, st- even if he were to step down, she could become president. So, the vice president pick is very important for Biden because I think he's like 78 years old. So, she's on the short list. And she, John, and I she was at the trials, she seemed great. Like, they, oh, they come on, the well, she gave I say no paint-by-numbers speech for about three minutes and made some appearance. She, I mean, she was fine, but she, I wasn't struck by her. I was more impressed oh, by what you she was impressed? saying after the rioting in Atlanta, all that stuff. That was impressive. But the, her appearance at the trials, that was just a, you know, public Yeah, it was sort of... But then she's in the news, and she's sort of spoken out about rioting, whatever. And now, John, do you see she has COVID as of today? No, that's unfortunate. Oh. Yeah, no, she, she has COVID. She sounds fine. She didn't even know her husband got it, and so she had to get a test, and... But it's just sort of interesting. Comes back to the last track and field event we had, the Olympic marathon trials, when we barely were aware of COVID. So, yeah. All right. Well, we have a great interview with Tyree Washington to get to. Do you guys have any other final thoughts before we get to that? I do, but we don't really have time to talk about it. So I just want to quickly shout out there was some cool stuff. We had the Beer Mile World Classic, it was broadcast on Let'sRun.com. We had a Women's World Record. So check that out if you haven't seen it. Also, Jonathan Galt and I were the broadcasters for the Firecracker 5K in Fort Collins, Colorado. They had drone footage. These people ran the race separately. It was really cool. And one thing that I thought would struck me, John, is when a nonprofit is in charge of a race, you get cool things like this. When it's some rock and roll thing and they're trying to make a ton of money, they're not going to put on a race during COVID-19. But these people went all out. They had drone footage. I mean, John and I, like we volunteered ourselves too because – you know, they're not making money on it. We're not making money on it. We just did it for the sport. So it was cool to be part of that. 
Um, and if you're looking for something to read, by the time this podcast comes off, it'll be Thursday. John has done his re- recent throw, Throwback Thursday on the 2002 London Marathon, which he calls the greatest marathon ever. It's a great read. Check it out on Let'sRun.com. Wait, did we even talk about the Inspiration Games? Oh, shoot. I guess, I mean, do we want to talk about it? People might, it might be we over. We probably should the leave time. them for last because by the time this podcast posts, yeah. it'll pretty much be like three hours away. But like Diamond League track and field is. Uh, they're not even, they're not even calling this an official Diamond League meet, but. So the Vel Classic Classic, it was going to be the sole Diamond League final this year, right? Yes. They canceled the final. And then like a few weeks later, they're like, oh, actually, we're going to have a Vel Classic virtual meet. So I think there's six or eight virtual things that are having it. The Swiss, you know, Velcras is in Zurich. The Swiss are all about timing, very precise. You know, there's some sort of, I don't know, American stereotype, German culture there. They've had a couple of press conferences on this. They're going to shoot guns off. The guns are going to go off virtually exactly the same time they're going to run. But we got Noah Lyles. We got Allison Felix. We got Shawnee Mueller Weibo. It's going to be a Olympic channel, NBCSN later. I mean, it's better than nothing, right, guys? Well, two it's things we're cool. excited about. One, Noah Lyles is running a 200. We've seen Lyles looks to be in pretty good shape. I mean, he ran 14.46 for a 150 in practice, which is pretty close to Usain Bolt's world best of 14.44, and that was back in 2009. And that was en route in his 1919 200-meter world record. Then the other thing that's interesting is Dalila Muhammad. She's running 300 hurdles, uh, going for the world best in that event. And Allison Felix, they're both competing at the new Mount Sac Stadium. Brand new stadium. To my knowledge, they're the first athletes who are actually competing on this thing. I'm kind of interested to see what that looks like. It's funny you said that, John, because that was my one thing. I was looking at these things. I'm like, okay, there's... I mean, there's no event over 300 meters. The Swiss organizers are very like impressed that they're like shooting the guns off at the exact same time. Then people will run, and then within two minutes they can sync the TV and all this stuff. So it'll be as virtually live as you can make it. And one aspect is there's no adjustment for wind. So like the Swiss runner, you know, they're not as good as Shani Miller Weibo, so that might give her a chance. I have an important thing to to get to here, John. Let's cut oh, through the crap. Uh, no Lyles' PR is nineteen fifty. What does he run? Over or under the PR? Oh, way over. He's not going to break his PR in this virtual meet, uh, but unless he gets some hurricane in his back, why not? This is the problem. He ran nine ninety three with a four zero wind last weekend. I, that doesn't suggest to me that he's in shape to run nineteen four. This is the problem with the sport. We're talking about, you know, Trayvon Bermel did this at 19 or 20, and this person did this four or five years ago when they were young. Gabby Thomas this, Gabby Thomas that. Do you guys realize how old Noel Lyles is? He's, I would guess he's 20. 21? Three. He's 22. He turns 23 on July 18th. That's in eight, well, nine, eight days from Thursday. It's basically next Friday, right? Well, guess what? How old was Usain Bolt when he ran his 1919 world record? He was one day before his 23rd birthday. The idea that Noah Lyles is going to be way better in four years than now may not be true. This could be his peak right now. It's a shame that the Olympics, well, actually, next year will be fine. If assuming we have the Olympics next year, that's going to probably be peak Noah Lyles. 
Although he seems a little bit more motivated for the long term than, than a same bolt. So maybe a bolt based on bolt. That's all I'm saying. I want to see it now. Okay. Now. There's still, there's still no way he's running his PR in this virtual meet on Thursday, but yeah, I think, I think he can run pretty well under 20 seconds, especially if he gets a nice wind on that. Uh, they say they're doing it in Bradenton. Does that mean they're not doing it in Claremont? It's kind of unclear to me. Anyway. Where's Bradenton? Where's Claremont? According to Google Maps, they're two hours away. I, why, I don't understand why they would drive all the way to... Maybe they have filming facilities in Bradenton? It's near Tampa? I, I don't know. Unclear. All right, well, I think that's it for this week, guys. Fun joining you for Let's Run After Dark. Maybe if we get some good ratings and reviews on this, we can bring this back at some point in the future. But for now, I think it's time to talk to Tyree Washington. Fantastic interview going about. Talks about racing Michael Johnson, beating Michael Johnson as a 20-year-old, winning the world championship after having a, a doping bust elevate him to gold, running as part of the fastest 4 by 4 of all time. Tons of good stuff with Tyree Washington, so enjoy that coming up right now. Crazy upbringing. I mean, the guy like came from nothing. And John, is he the best person ever, never to run in the Olympics? I think there's a strong case for it. He was a world champion in the 400, also won a bronze medal at Worlds, and never ran in the Olympics. So I think he has a strong case for that honor. All right, here he is. Stay safe, everyone. All right, everyone, we got a special guest, and we think a Let's Run.com first, the first sprinter ever on the podcast. He's got an amazing story. It's Tyree Washington. He's got a new book coming out. His autobiography is called Against All Odds, and, I mean, that's the story of his life. It's amazing. Tyree is the 2003 World 400-meter champion indoors and outdoors. He was on the fastest 4x400 team ever. But he's had four gold medals stripped from him, a world record stripped from him from drugs, not because he was doping, because people he was on teams with were doping. His story is absolutely amazing. He grew up poverty. He was in the Crips. He was a high school long jumper as a junior college athlete. He's winning the bronze medal as a 20-year-old. He then anchors the 4x4, talking trash to Michael Johnson as a 20-year-old. Goes on. Tons of life turmoil. Counseling to kids. Goes to NFL, comes back to track. We got to go through it all. The introduction is not doing you justice. Tyree, welcome. I appreciate it, guys. Man, it's, it's a pleasure to be on the show. <laughs> so much, so many different things. Huh? It's crazy. It's a roller coaster ride, man. <laughs> We're like a magic mountain. <laughs> it's an amazing story. Like I, I'm of your age. I'm a few years older than you, but like I remember you being a great runner, the great smile, the headband you ran with. Michael Johnson, that sort of stuff. But like, I just forgot all of the amazing, all the twists and turns, the stuff outside of track, getting hurt, coming back. It's great you're writing a book because uh, you've overcome a lot to get where you are. And just, uh, I want to learn from it, but hopefully we can also learn from this talk today. Yeah, me too. I mean, I'm excited that I'm able to get my book out, the, you know, get my book out to the world. I think it's been, you know, it's been many years in the making. And, and one of the reasons why I want to get my you know, get my story out there to people that just don't know about it because I just want to plant more, uh, more seeds of hope worldwide. And because I know there's so many people out there that have gone through the things I've gone through in my life, and and they may feel like they can't overcome it. So they you know hear about this little scrawny little kid from Riverside, California, that went through all this garbage in his life, and he still kept pressing forward, and he made it to where he wanted to be. It's like that's just going to give them hope to keep on pushing. And so 
that that's that's one of my goals. And, and obviously, my book was, you know, as I was writing my book, I had tears in my eyes, like just dropping on the paper because I was, it was just very therapeutic. Because there's so many different things I talk about, I talked about in my book that I never share with the media, and I just I I, I just hear from everybody. And so uh, I want to, you know, for me, it's time for just to get open because I know there's people, like I said, there's so many people out there that that are that are going through what I'm that, that are going through what I'm going through or going went through what I went through, and so. I just want to be able to help him keep you know, to succeed in life. Yeah, well, if it, if it brought you to tears, I mean, it's going to be amazing because uh, just reading a Sports Illustrated article from I think 2003, a Washington Post article, I was just like, oh my gosh, this story is just amazing. And it almost brought me to tears. I just forgot, like, I'd read these stories 17 years ago and kind of forgot them. And it's an amazing story. So may- maybe we start at the beginning of your career and we kind of talk through your career because. For the public at large, you burst on the scene at the 1997 World Championships. You're 20 years old. You're junior college. I think you've only been running the 400 for a couple of years. You were a high school long jump champion, big into football. You wanted to be a football player at Oregon, right? And the grades didn't work out immediately. So you, had, you went to the junior college. Somehow, next thing, you're winning the bronze medal behind you. First of all, before that, you beat Michael Johnson, right? You end his, you're in the race for his eight-year win streak that ends. Years, yeah. His eight-year win streak wins. You go on to Worlds. He wins. You get third. You talk a little trash, but it's amazing. You're 20 years old. There's so much before that 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 went on with your life. Like, should we start there? You think? Where do we begin? Yeah, I know. There's. I mean, yeah, because there's so many different. You know, there were so many points in my life to where things were just like all over the place. And, but I think like in like you said, like in high school. I mean, that football was my love. I mean, I was and I was a really I was a great football player. I was heavily recruited all over the country. And a lot of people may not know that. I mean, every, you know, I mean, there's many, many D1 uh, universities that wanted me. And I chose to go to the University of Oregon because I love their football program. And uh, Don Pelham, uh, who recruited me, who's actually the linebacker coach at UCLA right now. I mean, it, you know, I was, you know, for me, that was like, you know, my best friend, Patrick Johnson, who also ran track for, uh, you know, he went to Redlands High School out in California. He was there. So it was like a good, it was a great fit. But, but yeah, I, lo- I love the long jump. And long jump, to, long jump was great. And I, 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 if I, I looked at myself, if I did continue to continue uh, doing track and field, I wanted to be like this great long jump champion. Mike, Mike Powell's my good, one of my good friends, a world record holder. And in some years ago, I was joking around with him. I'm like, man, if I, if I would have stayed long jump, it would have been over with, man, because I'm snapping that world record, man. But, uh, cause I, <laughs> I mean, I love to jump, but, but football, like I said, it was always embedded in my, my, my heart, my soul, my blood. And, and and I just wanted just to my end goal was to to be in the NFL for 10, 15 years and then re- re- retire. But but when I didn't when I was acting, it was some academic issues. And there were some other issues I'm going to talk about. I talk about more in my book, but um, it, things didn't quite work out. So that's how I ended up at the junior college uh, because of Blackman Ehem, who was uh, the sprint coach at, at San Bernardino Valley College in 1990, uh, 1997. And he just basically just broke me down. And build me back up, and he told me, he says, "I'm gonna make you one of the greatest 400 meter runners ever." And and I and I remember I was laughing. I'm like, <laughs> I was like, this guy must be, you know, there's something must be wrong with him. But uh, but he did that. I and I and I I ended up running 44 in junior college, and I ran 20:30 in the 200 meters, and and then I was and I was getting ready to. Uh, the next thing you know, I'm like, I'm in Paris, and I'm competing against Michael Johnson. You know, one of the, you know, the best, you know, the, the, one of the great, the greatest 400 meter runners, 400, 200 meter runners ever. And, uh, but, but my mindset, a lot of people, they thought I was really cocky. 
back then and like, hey, he's running his mouth. This is Michael Johnson just broke the world record in the 400 meters and in in Atlanta. I mean, in the in the 200 Atlanta, and he broke the Olympic record in uh, in the 400 meters. And and so, but but my mentality was my coach. He he said he told me in college that you're a professional athlete in college. And so he was like, and he said, you're going to think that way. You're going to train that way. Everything you do is going to be, a, you know, it's going to be a, be just like a professional athlete. So when I met Michael, it was like, I wasn't afraid of him when I, you know, I would go to a call room and I'm not even joking. And athletes were out here by like my competitors and they would be like, well, I'm going to get Michael walks in and they're like, Oh, well, I'm going to get fourth. I'm going to get fifth. And no one was talking about, I'm going to beat this guy. You know, it's very, very few athletes are like having to beat him. And I'm like, I'm going to beat him because I'm like, he's a man just like me. And I respect him. He's a phenomenal quarter miler, great quarter miler. But but I'm like, I had no fear of Michael at all whatsoever. What's your best Michael Johnson story? Oh, best Michael Johnson story. I would think like, I mean, I, I think about in and we me and Michael, like we, we never had like a, a deep conversation. You know, it was like kind of hello and goodbye and and whatnot. And like I'll see you on the track. I mean, you know, it's kind of like the nonverbal, you can tell from just the the, you know, just the, just the way he looked at, like he looked at me the way I looked at him. But I know in Zurich in, nine, I believe in 1998, uh, no, I'm sorry, I think in Zurich 1997, uh, I almost I almost beat him. And I mean, we had like, if you look the last 100 meters, it's me, Michael and Davis Camoga. I mean, we're just parallel to each other. We're just battling and going at it. And, and Michael barely snipped me at the tape. And I, I think, I mean, I, I knew right then and there, I'm like, man, I'm so close. But I, but I, my coach always told me to run my race and, 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 you know, take a little bit back, you know, take it to the you know previous year, 1997, Athens, Greece, when I won the bronze medal. My coach told me to kick at 180. I kicked at 150. And I was like, well, I'm going to snatch Michael up. And if you look at the YouTube video, I'm almost, I think, second to last. And then I come up and then I just, and I nip everybody. And I, I didn't even see Davis Kamoga. I didn't know where he came from. I'm like, where the heck did this guy come from? But if I would have kicked where I would, my coach told me to kick, then that would have been, then Michael, I would have beat him. But I didn't do that. I hesitated. And I had a little bit of doubt. And I was like, oh, I'm just going to just wait a little bit, conserve a little energy. But I had enough strength in everything, uh, you know, enough strength in me. And, but, uh, but that's what happens. I mean, when you, when you doubt yourself, you don't stay in your lane and you don't stick to your script and your blueprint. And is that you, you get beat. And, and I, and I got beat. So it's just, I, I mean, I had to hold myself accountable for that one. It's kind of good to hear that you said with Michael, there wasn't a lot of, chit chat because that's the impression he gave very professional you know like he's got business to do yeah it looks like the michael we saw on tv is, is the michael that that's how he interacted with his athletes you know it was you guys were sort of enemy no point for chit chat yeah he, he did i mean his coach would clyde hart would come up to my coach black me he would ask him like hey is you know your boy ready and then vice versa and and it was like that was it and and we would just go at it but yeah michael was very professional and and me, I'm a very emotional person. I like to, I like to get excited. I'm smiling, and I'm just pumped up. And that's just, that's the football in me. That's just that. That's like, hey, man, I'm like, I'm coming after you. I like, I love big crowds. I don't care if there was a, there was a stadium that can hold a million people. I love it. That's what I, that's what I want. And, and I love that electricity. But, but yeah, you know, Michael's just a different type of breed, but and very professional. And, and I like that because I think it was a, to me, it was a great rivalry just with, you know, with him and me and. I mean, there's many other good, great quarter quarter-milers out there. Like, like I, I, I have the utmost respect for Roger Black. Um, Roger Black was a great quarter-miler, and a lot of my other Brits are my really good friends. I mean, I, I, you know, a lot of my former competitors in the 400, 
You know, you know, we're friends. We're like really good friends. Michael Blackwood, um, Jamie Ball. She actually wrote my forward in my book against all odds. Um, he is really, really good friend of mine. And so, uh, I mean, I have friends all over. And it's crazy after all the years that we uh, we were done competing and we started talking and then we were, we're all staging these stories and stuff. And and, and we just, we're, we're just we're kind of having this roundtable and I'm telling Jamie how great he was. And and I just like how Michael, man, like you're just you're on me in London. And and like, you know, what was your training? Like, so we're just like talking about training. So it's it's pretty cool. Pretty cool. I think it'd be nice to have like a round table one day, just of all the great quarter milers. We could talk about our story as far as training and, 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 uh, just our, you know, how, like, you know, how do, how do we get mentally strong and what was our nutrition like and our home, I kind of just dive deep into it. So pretty cool. And you finished 1997, age 20, you're the bronze medalist at world championships. And like you said, you almost beat Johnson in, in Zurich and you had beat him earlier the year in Paris. The next year you team up with him and with Jerome Young and Antonio Pettigrew, and you guys break the world record in the 4x4 with 254.20 at the Goodwill Games. But then that later is later rescinded because uh, both Young and Pettigrew had doping violations. At the time, are you thinking like, hey, this record's going to stand for a long time? Because no one's run faster. We're now in 2020. No one's ever run faster than that. Are you thinking all's above board, or did you have any suspicions about your teammates back then? I didn't have any suspicion because I just... I mean, I felt like, I mean, it was like the honor system. Like, you know, you're doing what's right. Like I'm doing what's right. I mean, I haven't, I have integrity. I mean, even though, you know, I'm this emotional guy, I'm very vocal. I mean, I, you know, for me, I didn't, you know, I didn't, I never thought about, well, I'm just going to go take some performance enhancing drugs so I can go out there and, and run this phenomenal time and, and just cheat. I mean, I didn't think, I, I didn't, I didn't think that they were thinking that way or they're going to do anything um, in that nature to, to, to jeopardize us losing our gold medal and, and, uh, and and being stripped of our title. But uh, it's, you know, when I found out, I mean, when the whole Balco hit, I was just, I'm devastated because I'm like, I didn't know Antonio Pettigrew was doping for 10 years. I'm like, this is one of the nicest guys you could ever meet. I mean, he's, I mean, he's like Michael, very quiet as kept, go out there, take care of his business, and that's it. And, and so one by one, it's just everybody's coming out like they're doping. I'm just like, wait a minute. But, you know, am I in the twilight zone? Like, where have I been at? I mean, I'm, I'm on the run, I'm running the relay team with these guys and, but I didn't have any type of inkling that, that they were doping at all. I mean, I just, cause I'm like, Hey, they're, they, they worked hard just like I worked hard, like, you know, the track, the weight room, proper nutrition, uh, whatnot. And, and, and they have great, they have great coaches. I'm like, that was just all the, to me, the recipe for success. But, but long and behold, I mean, I, like I said, we got stripped of all our titles, a stripped of the world record trip to the Google games, gold medal. And it's just, you know, it's just heartbreaking because I don't know sometimes I get like, it, it just really hurts me because I, I don't know when you work so hard for something, somebody just takes it away from you and, and there's nothing you can do about it. I didn't want to keep my medals. I didn't want to fight. I gave them back. I don't, there's, I don't, I'm not gonna keep nothing dirty in my house. My wife will tell you that. And so I, I had to give them back and I voluntarily say, here, take the medals. Cause the most, my competitors, those are my friends and that I competed against. And, and I think about how they felt. I put myself in their shoes, and they and they they, and they done it the right way. So it hurt. It, it it really it was that that stung for a long time, a very long time. Yeah, I mean the pedigree things. It's very sad. You know, he ended up committing suicide, and like you said, you're like, wait, he's a good guy, and all this other stuff. And it's like people love to paint the picture. You dope, you're evil. You don't, you're great. But it's like it's so more complicated. And then it's sad because I'm sure he then struggled. Wait, my identity is now I'm this doper. 
just, I mean, he was a college coach, but maybe he was going to lose his job. I mean, it's just so sad. Like all of the, I mean, some people well, don't have lose. a lot of sympathy for him, but you never got your medals. You were deprived of the moments you should have had. His life is in tatters. I mean, he's dead now. I mean, it's just, doping's just such a scourge in the sport. You know, any way you look at it, it's just, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's very hurtful. Everybody, everybody suffered from it. And they were they were affected. I mean, Antonio's wife was suffered. His little kid, his child suffered. Uh, my family suffered. I mean, f- I mean, just the financial end. I mean, just a uh, just an embarrassment of just knowing that hey, your teammates were doping, and you thinking that you're at the time you're you're you know you're screaming and yelling. We just broke the world record, and we just won this world title. But it was all a mirage. It wasn't even real. Uh, it's just it's, it's hurtful. So he had a lot of guilt. But Antonio, yeah, he was coaching in college, but his college coach. Uh, his, his head coach, uh, I think it was Coach Crotty. Uh, I mean, I may be wrong. I'm just saying his name, wrong, his last name wrong. But, but uh, he he was supporting Antonio. So he wasn't gonna. I don't think he was gonna lose his job. But I think it's just that guilt and that just really just it really got to him and and forced him to I mean forced him to take his life. So yeah, and you started a foundation. I think it's changed names. So it's called Killeroid.com, and you were speaking out against steroids. Like, were you ever? Did anyone come to you and say, hey, you should dope? Or how do you – what if people who are, like, suspicious, they're like, hey, well, Tyree was probably doping. Look at him. He was jacked. You know, like, how do you – do you ever have to try to prove to people you're clean? Like, how would you, I don't know, doubt the skeptics or uh, – I don't even know. Like, it's just such an error. Like, Yeah, it is the error. Yeah, I mean, right, Weldon. I mean, it's, it's like no matter what you say, people are going to be like, okay, well, you, you just didn't get caught. I mean, that's because the sport has a – I mean, sport has a, a huge black eye. On it, and it's like this black cloud over it, his head, and and uh, but I mean, I, I can't. I mean, no one really. I mean, I've had too many people come up to me and ask me, "Hey, like, were you know, were you ever doping?" Or, or I mean, there was some chatter that I heard about. I mean, I just, you know, I, you know, they go off of your your track record. I mean, I've so from the time I, 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 I came into the sport track and field, is that I've always upheld my integrity and just to to be able to fight doping. Because for me, I just means a lot. I couldn't. I'm not the type of person that can sit on the podium and just be like, you know, hey, like, you know, just kind of wave to everybody, smile and 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 knowing that I was cheating. Like, I, you know, if I want to, you know, if I want to, you know, if I want to beat you, I'm going to beat you fair and square. Like, I'm not going to I'm not going to go just take something just to enhance my performance. And but I but you can't your critics out there, the skeptics, you can't. There's not really too much to say because Marion Jones said that she took, you know, hundreds of tests. Right. And she never tested positive. Oh, Balco scandal. Many athletes say that. So it's just, I don't know. It's, you have to just, you have to just know that deep down inside, and that you done it the right way, and and um, and there's no track record. There's no. I never had any type of um, accusations that I was doping and caught up in some type of scandal that I was actually being accused of taking uh, performance enhancing drugs. So yeah, it's crazy. I mean, just such the era. Like I, honestly, when I f- first started doing research on this, I went on your Wikipedia. And the, someone put his coach during 2003 was Antonio Pettigrew. And they mentioned the doping stuff there. And I'm like, oh, they're trying to taint Tyree. He can't win. Let's, let's fast forward to like 2003 because that's your most successful year. And then we'll kind of go back and I think talk about a little bit about your upbringing. I think that's maybe a good way to do it because we're kind of jumping ahead. But I'll kind of do a rundown th- through your years. And you sort of – because you never made – did you ever compete in the Olympics? Not even on a relay, right? No. It's, it's something happened every single year before I the, before the Olympic trials. It's, it's like – yeah, it's crazy. Like, I mean, yeah, you're by crazy. far the most credentialed sprinter who's never made an Olympics. But 
I'm going to go through your years because you were doing so much stuff. And then that people can read the book for all the details, but like, I'll keep, I'll pick up where John left off. 1998 Goodwill games, four by four. And you jump in and say, if I'm missing some highlights, four by four world record. The next year, I think you started thinking about doing NFL, but you only ran the 200 for some reason at USA's. Is that, is that right? In 1999? Yeah, that's That's, that's correct. Yeah, I did that because I just wanted to get in shape for football. So I really didn't need to be in 400 meter shape. So everything was geared towards getting ready to work out for NFL teams. Yeah. So I did that. That's good. But as a distance runner, I'm like, wait, you only ran the 400, but then I saw you went to the, so then you signed with some NFL teams, right? You did some, you didn't play in the NFL, but you did training camp and that sort of stuff. Like who'd you sign with in 99? Uh, San Diego Chargers. Now the LA Chargers. I mean, that's gotta be crazy. So that's your dream. You're, you're doing the NFL. They cut you. Next year is an Olympic year, so you're like back for track, or like what, what was the thinking there? Yeah, so I was thinking like, well, and I talk about that more in my book of like the whole situation. I got cut, and then, uh, then I got actually I got picked back up by another NFL team, and but I'm not going to get deep into that of what happened. And but uh, yeah, so I was like, yeah, I'm going to get ready for the Olympics, <clears throat> and then then all of a sudden I get hit. I'm, I'm in great shape, feeling good, and then I get hit with my sister. She commits murder, and. And that just, um, I have asthma. A lot of people don't know that. I have asthma really, really bad. And I actually, my team, I, I still have the same um, allergy and asthma physician, uh, Dr. Maesh right now that treats me. And so when my sister committed murder, uh, they say with asthmatics, like if you're, you're, you become stressed and then it just, it, it can bring on an attack. And I, and I actually had an attack and I got real sick. And so they put me on some medication, thought it would clear up my lungs. And unfortunately, it was like I got to Olympic trials and and like my body just felt I didn't feel good. And I got knocked out the first round. I had just ran 44-7 at pre and I think at the second fastest time in the world at that time, um, Michael was number one. And and so I was like, how could I get knocked out in the first round? I can. I mean, I ran 46. I'm like, this is a joke. But people don't know I was sick. I was really sick. Yeah, I was reading your asthma. I mean, as a kid, it almost killed you a couple of times. I mean. Yeah. But I didn't realize. So, yeah, your sister's thing. I, it's funny because I thought that was in 2002. That was the trial. But, like, the sister story was horrific. She, I guess, murdered one of your nephews, right? And it was depriving the kid. And I just can't imagine you were talking about the last time you saw him. And you ended up testifying against her, at the, I think, in the trial. Like, uh, so was it was. Yeah. That's going on. You're trying to get back in track in 2000, 2001. You were hurt as well. Kind of talk us through these, I guess, next two years up through 2003. Yeah, so 2001, I got hurt at Prefontaine. I, I got hurt at, at um, that was at National, well, before Nationals. And I ran 44-2, fastest time in the world. I'm feeling great. And so you knocked out, I get knocked out of the, I get knocked out of making the national team. Then 2000, then I was like, you know what, I'm done. There's so many things hitting me, my sister, injury. And then all of a sudden, my sister gets, and then the following year, 2002, my sister gets sentenced to 25 to life. And so I'm just like, wow, like this is just crazy. I'm just getting hit with, with uh, my, you know, my sister, she's down. Then 03 comes along. And then I just, then I get back with my coach, um, reunite with my coach, Black Nehem. And he starts, he, uh, he advises me just to start doing, putting in some mileage during the summer before our fall, uh, fall uh, season started in 02. And so I did that and, and, uh, and I started feeling really good uh, mentally and physically. And, and then I, to, you know, before the start of the 2003 season, I just made a pack with my coach and myself that I wanted just to, 
I wanted just to go out there and just destroy everybody that I competed against because I had just so much anger inside. Yeah, in 2002, like, I mean, you really considered quitting, it sounds like. I saw somewhere you got a job as a probation officer. Yeah, yeah, sure I did, yeah. You said you got sick of handcuffing kids. You'd rather counsel them, but because I've seen you speaking to kids and you're very uplifting story, but... Were you really considering like just quitting sport? It was just too much pressure, or just too many bad things going on. Yeah, I just, I just lost a, you know, I was really, I mean, a lot of people know I was really, I was really close to my sister and, and I was like the knucklehead growing up, you know, acting, you know, just acting crazy, doing foolish things. And, and she was always the one that's kind of in my face, like, you know, get yourself together. And then just to see her, uh, just to see her do what she did, it just, um, it really just, it really broke my heart. It really did. And I just didn't have any love for, for hardly anything, and and so I I, I was I really contemplated just get, I, at the time I was like I'm done, See, I don't want to I don't want to go back to sport anymore, and and just want to just move on and and do something else in my life. Were you thinking about the NFL at all at that point, or were you thinking just quitting all sports, moving on entirely? Yeah, I thought yeah, that's a great, that's a great question, Jonathan. I thought about just quitting everything. I just had I just I had no I had no desire, no butterflies anymore, and. And like, I mean, and I always tell athletes that I consult with all over the world that, you know, once you lose those butterflies and you don't have that, you know, that, that drive anymore, and you're contemplating, you're kind you're kind of like, should I go to practice? Should I not? I said, that's it. You're, that's it. And I, and that's what I had. I just, I just didn't have any fire inside of me anymore. It was just, it was out. It was out. And what, what helped you get through that? What reignited that fire? Well, <clears throat> um, my church helped me a lot and uh, my pastor. And just do I did a lot of praying, and I just realized that, you know, what, what my sister did is just I, I blame myself. I blame myself for it because I was trying to play God, trying to just like protect everybody. But I can't protect everybody, and and I and my pastor told me to realize that that you know, Ty, you have to just live your life, do it the best you can, and and uh, and go out there and continue to take you know take advantage of the talent that God's giving you, and uh, He gave me the talent to run. And to do great things, and so I decided I was going to come back and with a vengeance, and just to, and and to to win world titles and national titles, and and uh, yeah, just to show the world that that I was, I mean, that I that even though I left the sport, that I you know I was always still there, but I was just hibernating. <laughs> I was just hibernating. Well, it's pretty remarkable because you did not race at all in two thousand two, and then the next year you put together this incredible campaign. You're the indoor world champion to the outdoor world champion. It's just such a remarkable turnaround from someone who, you know, wasn't really even in the sport just a year ago. It, you know, a lot of people know I was still working out. I was still training. I was still in the weight room. I was still doing a little bit of running. I mean, cause fitness is a part of my life. I mean, regardless if I was in sport or not, I'm still going to work out. Like I still work out now. People think that I'm getting ready for a competition and I'm like, no, just, I love to work out. <laughs> and so so the transition was easy. And like I said, when I was getting with my coach, Black Mehem, he was like, I want you to put some mileage in and more mileage, I should say. And and so between the weights and that, and I just, when I started my fall camp, I was, I mean, I was, I was, I was feeling, I was feeling really good. I wasn't, I wasn't as far as behind as people thought I would be. I was literally kind of right. I was right on track. When you talk about mileage, what do you mean by mileage? Because we're always curious. We're a distance oriented podcast. We don't think of like 400 guys doing much mileage. So what kind of mileage were you doing? I know my, I know it's kind of, I know, I know you guys may laugh at this cause yeah, I know our, our, our for a mileage for a quarter miler is it's not much, but I would, I would do like two miles like every other day. And that was like mileage for me. And, 
And, and so, you know, I would put in like, she well, let me see, Monday, Wednesday, two, four, six, by, put it by like about 10 miles a week, about 10 miles a week. That's pretty good. You know, and so, yeah, just at a, a nice, good pace. And, you know, but I, but that, that, to me, that was like, a, that was like a marathon, but I got to a point where I was so, you know, that was feeling so good. And, you know, when I, before I started my, before I started my uh, fall, fall camp and, and I knew I'm like, okay, my, I got my, my winds up pretty good now. Cause I've been putting in a lot, I've been putting a lot of mileage. In. <laughs> what kind of pace would you run? Uh, I mean, I would probably run like, like a seven minute mile pace. Yeah. A seven minute mile, like sometime, you know, maybe I'll dip under if I was feeling like pretty, you know, the, you know, feeling really good, but that, that was about it. It wasn't, it wasn't, I mean, I know I'm not a two mile, I'm not a, you know, two mile runner, but, but that was good for me just because I just wanted to get the volume in, just get a lot of volume. So this was your community college coach? Because before him we were talking about, because the Wikipedia says Pettigrew tried to coach you. Like, who's coaching you at this point in the 2002, 2003? Yeah, so I was back to my junior college coach, Black Menehem. And you know, so we, yeah, so we were back together. And, you know, just to clarify, you know, it's I think the, the, the world put out there that, you know, I, me and Pettigrew agreed. I agreed that he was going to coach me, but he never coached me. He, like, I did my own workouts because he was, Pettigrew was upset that that I didn't want to move to Raleigh, and and I wasn't and I was gonna I, and I didn't want to move to Raleigh, and also to his workouts, I looked at his workouts and I didn't, they didn't fit me. It seemed like their the workouts they were geared towards him, Pettigrew, not you know not for Tyree Washington. And I'm the type of person that I don't try to like I don't want to reinvent the wheel. If something's working for me, I want to stick to it. So I so I I I, I made sure that I continued doing the workouts that I was doing when I was in junior college when I ran 45, 44 five and 20 low and and uh but a lot of people don't know that so that's why you know i, I clarify clarify that with people that ask me did he really coach me and he didn't coach me he was just he he had the title of a coach but he wasn't we, we really didn't have that type of relationship it was kind of it got it got, it got severed <laughs> 2003 the doping thing really screws you over you get second at worlds upgraded to gold i don't think you get your gold to 2009 correct but you're obviously, even if you're at the time you think you're a silver medalist, I mean, you're primed to go because everything's geared for the Olympics. And then I guess what happens the next year? And then, uh, <clears throat> then I'm, I'm feeling great. Then I get Achilles tendonitis right before the Olympic trials. And, and my, uh, I'm at the Olympic Training Center in Chula Vista. They're working on me, trying to resolve the issue. And they did the best they could, but it just didn't work out. And I went to the trials injured. And I got, I think I made it to the second round and got knocked out. I was done. That was it. Yep. Mentally, I mean, how'd you deal with that? Was that a crushing disappointment or how, how, how'd you handle the full out of that? It was frustrating because I'm like, man, this is another Olympics that I missed because of, first it was illness. Now it was injury. <clears throat> and then, uh, and so I, it's mentally, I just was, I felt drained. Honestly, Jonathan, I just was like, man, I'm like, <clears throat> I love God. <clears throat> excuse me. I mean, I love God. I'm just like, God, like what's going on? Like, you know, what lesson are you trying to teach me right now? And, you know, but it's, I had to just, but I had to keep persevering. I just know, I, you know, back in my mind, I'm like, I know there's something better for you, Ty. That's what I kept telling myself. So just, even though this is devastating, I mean, you're the, you're supposed to, you know, you're everybody, I'm getting interviewed by NBC. I'm all over the place. You're like, he's going to be the, he's projected to be the Olympic champion. And then that just, it just gets, that gets axed. I'm done. Gone. Just like that, like like miss, just like miss. You see me, and then you don't see me anymore. It's it's cutthroat the Olympics. Yeah, the way the way it works, it's just top. If you're not top three, you know you got to be 
on your game, you got to be healthy on the day. But uh, the one thing I want to return just briefly to the 2003 Worlds, because Weldon sort of mentioned, you know, you crossed the line second, but you're upgraded to gold after Jerome Young uh, is found to have committed a doping violation. The actual, looking at the results, I watched the race last night, and it's a crazy battle for second. There's four of you guys cross right between, within 0.06 of a second, which is actually, it turns out, it's the battle for first. And how do you find out that you've officially won that race? When does that come to light? What's the whole process for getting upgraded to gold from your perspective? Yeah, so well, when Drone got, when Drone, Drone tested positive and for EPO in 2004, and and that was the second offense, and, that's, and then months later, the IWF banned him for life. And so I thought at that time they're going to upgrade me to world champion, which I thought they should, and because it's like that was the second doping offense, but it didn't happen. And so then fast forward like five years later, they decide that finally he just admits that because of throughout the best well the federal investigation that he admits that he was doping in 2003. They upgrade me, so I thought that was world championship year. I think it was in Berlin. And so I thought they were going to, I, I, I was like, I thought they were going to um, give me my, you know, ask me to come to Berlin, to give me my gold medal. They said, oh, no, they were going to give you your gold medal in the States. And and I'm like, I'm like, this is not a national, this is not a national gold medal. It's a, it's a world championship gold medal. So I was like, but I accepted it because they just weren't budging, the IWF. And I was extremely upset with them. And I, I thought it was wrong because. Because all that was going on, and there, there was some other stuff behind the scenes that, that I, it's, there's information that I received that I can't talk about, um, you know, due to you know because of the Balco scandal, but, but I, I, I felt like they just didn't want me there, because of what I would say, and and uh, Nick Davies, he was the one that was like he thought it was in the, uh, uh, you know, he worked for the IWF, he thought it was in the best interest for me just to stay in the States to get my medal because I would get more, I guess, notoriety or publicity. But I'm like, this is the national team medal. I should be at the world championships. Give me like four or five minutes here, you know, whatever. Just, hey, this Tyree Washington's upgraded gold medal. Throw it on my neck. You know, I mean, hey, I'm gone. It couldn't even do that for me. And I, I thought that was, no, that, that was very hurtful because I can't go back in time. There's no time machine. I can't go back to that moment in 2003 stand on the podium in front of 100,000 people, billions of viewers. So I was like, just give me like, you know, give me a little four or five minutes, whatever it may be. So that 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 hurt too. That, that was very hurt. And you said you can't talk about something because of the Balco thing? Well, as journalists were saying, if, you can talk about anything you want to right here. We'd love to hear you talk about it. But you meant back then you couldn't talk about it or you still can't talk about it now? I'm a little confused. I still can't talk about it now because of just the, the it's very delicate. And, and uh, yeah, it's just... Yeah, it's just it, it's I couldn't do it. Yeah, there's there was yeah, there was there's something that was that was given to me, and I, I just can't I can't talk about it. Just something that I I will I will say this is that the the people I thought that was supposed to protect the sport, protect the athletes, they weren't. But if this is some sort of whistleblower thing, why can't like if this I don't know? I would argue you should be talking about it. Yeah, I know, but it's. Yeah. I would like to, I, I mean, uh, trust me, I would, but if it would, I would have to, I would have to consult with my attorney if I, before I, before I would even say anything about it. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. Right. I mean, yeah. yeah, like we, we get stuff, we find out, and we kind of know stuff, we can't say stuff. So I respect yeah. that. <laughs> Sorry, guys. No, fair. It's 
there's so much. Once the full story of everything comes out, oh man, you know. I mean, we're still learning stuff out about Lance Armstrong or all these other guys yeah. back in the day. It's, it's kind of crazy. Alberto Salazar was coaching back then. He's just now getting banned. Uh, yeah, you know, the 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 we maybe have the half story or something. I was reading about, you know, one of the USA's you did, Regina Jacobs was a star. She got, I mean, everybody was getting banned. It, it's kind of crazy. Everybody. Yeah. It's just like one by one. I mean, just getting plucked. It's just crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. So after 2003, I mean, you don't make the Olympic team in 2004, 2005, you don't make the world's team. You win the world athletics final, but sort of, I would say your career then you kind of hung on, you tried to make 2008 and that was it. But like, the transition to being Tyree Washington, the athlete to Tyree Ashington, you know, you're always still Tyree Washington, but like, was it hard giving up sport transitioning into this, the world you're in now? Like, I think a lot of athletes suffer with that and who didn't have the highs that you did, but sort of was it, was that an easy thing just to take on other aspects of your life? Well, it was tough. I think, you know, it doesn't really matter how successful you are in the sport. I mean, just transitioning to another sport is tough because you're going from one world to another world. And, and that's why I advise like athletes now that whatever you want to do and whatever you want to do, like life after sport is that start doing that now. Like if you want to be an entrepreneur, start building your career right now. And, and obviously if you're going to school for, um, to get a specific degree for the field that you want to go into, start doing internship right now. <clears throat> excuse me, start doing an internship right now. So that way it's a more, it's a, it's a smoother transition when you, um, as you get out of sports. So it was difficult for me, but uh, I knew that I knew <clears throat> I wanted to stick to what I was great at and what I love to do. I should say what I'm passionate about. And I love working with people. I love inspire. I love inspiring them. I love giving back and I love planting that seed of hope. And, and so I was, there. so I decided to go into speaking and, and go into work, continue to working with athletes to, to mentor, to mentor them and to guide them on the right path, because that's important because we know, you know, you know, you know, you and me all, you know, we all know that, that's what, I mean, you're one injury away or sickness away from it, everything being all, all over as an athlete, it can be gone like a blink of an eye and you have, you have to have that backup plan. And so I just, I love what I do to be able to <clears throat> consult with athletes all over the place, all over the world and, and just be able to speak about my story because there's so many people that have issues. And they're going through so many different things in life. And, and if I can, like, if I can share my story and be able to get them to keep pushing forward, to keep being hopeful is that, that I've done my job and, and that, and that's what I, that's what I love doing. So, you know, for, you know, Jonathan, I mean, Weldon, just to answer your question, it's like, yeah, I mean, I just try to, I just try to keep everything under one umbrella with, with speaking and coaching. And, and that just, and that, and that just all uh, consists of just me uh, being able to share my story and, and making sure that people live a more happier life. I saw it on YouTube. I think this is way back. You speaking to some kids, and I'm like, "Oh, this guy would be great." So it seems like kind of looking. I'm looking at your LinkedIn. You did some stuff for Fox Sports. You did Killeroyd. You've been a lot of speaking, some training. I'm really glad to hear that this book is coming out. But the transition, even for myself, I was. I mean, my I was like fourth in the USA a couple of times. I wasn't nearly as good as you, but like figuring. I just loved running and then sort of transitioning to stuff. It is difficult to do. So yeah, it I think it, I think more athletes need to think about when you're young, you don't think about it. Right. So it's a good message to hear. No, you don't think about it because you think that it's going to last forever. You think the money's going to last forever. I mean, but, but the thing is, it you know, all things come to an end one day and because an athlete, you can't sustain, you know, you can't sustain being at the high level forever. I mean, I don't care if you're even at, I don't care if you're even at the, 
you know, the collegiate level, even at the high school level, some athletes don't make it out. They don't even make it out of high school. They don't make it out of college. But, but uh, you have to, like I said, you have to have that backup plan and, and stick to it, you know, and, and go into something that you love to do. That's what I think a lot of, I tell a lot of athletes, don't, don't go into something that you don't love to do because eventually you're just going to tap out. You just give up. You just, gonna, you just quit. You just quit. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm fortunate enough just to be in something I love to do. And in terms of the money, I mean, maybe some of this is in the book. A lot of it seems to be the endorsement contracts. Did you ever get a good contract that was signed at the right time? Because if you hit it big at the end of a, con- you know, like, was the, the money pretty good for you at times? Or I'm sure everyone would want it to be more. But to me, it really would seem like when you signed your contracts, that sort of stuff, the agent, that sort of stuff. <laughs> well, I will tell you this is that, I mean, a lot of people may not, be- uh, you know, they may not believe this. I've never had like a big contract. Everything that I had, I had to earn it. And it was more of like in, it was more in uh, incentive based, like more of a bonus. If I had this bonus, I get X amount of dollars. And I, I think a lot of that was because of when I first came the inexperience of uh, my agent. And, and so I, I just have to go out there and prove myself. But like, I've always just had to go prove myself. And, and I understand that. I, I get it. But, um, you know, I, I, I know there's a lot of athletes out there. And I'm not going to say names that had big contracts and they weren't, they weren't doing what I was doing and they were, and they were doping. And, and so, but, um, but it's okay though. I just felt like I, I put my best foot forward and I gave it a hundred percent. And at the end of the day, that's all that matters. Oh, I don't want to think about how much money. Yeah. Do you ever get pissed off how much money doping cost you? Oh Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I sometimes, I mean, I, I have like hundreds of thousands. Millions cost me millions. Millions. It's cost, it's cost me millions. Not yeah, it's cost me literally millions of dollars. And I try not to think about that welding because it's it's frustrating because it's just like, I mean, you know, it's like, man, you want to know, like, why did this person have to just make the decision? Why can't they just accept, hey, being second, being third, being fourth, even, if, you know, whatever. And and for me, I, you know, I, 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 I don't like to lose. I mean, and some people might say, oh, he's, you know, Tyree Washington's a sore loser. I just, I didn't like to lose. But at the same time, I wasn't going to go cheat. I wasn't going to say, you know what, I'm just going to go dope up so I can come back and beat this person. I mean, if I got my butt kicked, I got my butt kicked. I'm going to go back to the drawing board with my coach. I'm going to watch film. And we're just going to go over everything. We're just going to tear it all apart and put it back together. And hopefully I can execute my next race. That's that's what I did. And so, but yeah, I just, I, I, I don't think, I tend not to think about that because it's very, it's frustrating. And, and no matter how much I get mad about it, no matter how much I look at the numbers, it's, it's not going to help me right now. <laughs> I don't know. You still got that smile that I, I remember you most from the crack. <laughs> you seem to be very upbeat. And with, despite all the obstacles in your life, it's pretty amazing. And I assume this comes out in the book because we didn't really talk about gang violence as a kid, single mom. I mean, you overcame all of that stuff. I'm just amazed at your, your positive outlook. I mean, people really, I hope, can learn from your message. But sort of... Turning, I feel like we'd be remiss not to ask you about sort of Black Lives Matter and all the stuff going on now with the death of George Floyd. How has that this stuff impacted you? Are you very optimistic about the future? Sort of, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but kind of what are you, thoughts on sort of like everything going on right now? I think things are going to get better for all of us guys. You know, honestly, I, I didn't grow up in a household. My mother, like I said, I grew up in a single household and single parent house. And, and my mother was never the one about color was like, you know, you date a certain person or whatnot, or you hang around a certain crowd because of the color. And I think the whole situation with like George Floyd is, 
that it was like the, the straw that broke the camel's back. It was almost like you kind of have a dam and there was like holes in the dam. And then when this happened, it was just like that. It got hit in the big, this, it just busted wide open. And so it just put in the forefront and to where people can and see what's going on, the, the racial inequality that's been happening for years. And, and obviously there's been the police brutality, but uh, that's been going on for, uh, you know, for, for many years that people just don't, that, that, you know, they didn't know about because they couldn't see what's going on. I mean, that's what about camera phones. You can videotape everything, but I don't think that life is, you know, our lives are not fallacies, right? Just because, you know, these, these, these bad cops done something that's horrific. It does not mean that all cops are bad. It is, I mean, and that's just like, even in a race, just because there's some certain people in a race that do a lot of bad things is that you don't condemn the whole race. And so I think that we have to just learn from this, that we need to learn to love one another. I mean, life is, I was talking about this this other day, conference call, is that we almost act like if life, like we have another world to go to, we screw this one up, which we don't. We almost act like, we act like we have multiple lives. We don't have multiple lives. We have one life. And let's just take care of it. Let's just learn to love one another. <clears throat> Sorry. And, uh, and just to, to, to be able to help, you know, help each other because we may not, it's, it's like Jackie Robinson was talking about, like, you may not like me, but just respect me. And, and I, and I think we just respect one another and just, and just, and like I said, just try to help one another, just to build that foundation instead of having a house that's divided because our world is so divided now. And, and if you have a house divided, it, 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 will, it will not stand. And so we have to just look past the whole color. We have to look past the, the race. And we have to just look at people as just human beings because at the end of the day, it's just, if we, we all bleed red. We get all of us. And, and I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, Martin Luther King, you know, he said in Bass is that, is that, you know, you don't judge people by, uh, you know, the, the color of their skin, you know, but the, you know, the, con the color of their skin, but the content of their character. And, uh, and, and so I, I really, I truly believe that we have to just really, all of us have to move past this and, and not just get caught up on, well, this person is bad because, because of what he does. It's like, not everybody's bad. And, and I mean, we've been dealing with segregation. I mean, segregation happened years ago. You had slavery. We have to learn from our mistakes. We can't keep repeating that. That's the, I think that's the one of the problems is that we're, we're repeating, you know, certain things and we have to just learn from it. It's like my kids, I have little, I have little ones. And so if they're trying to take a fork and stick it in this light socket, they're going to get shocked. I mean, I'm popping, you know, I'll pop a little hand, like don't do that because you can get electrocuted. Eventually they learn like, you know what, I'm not going to take the fork and I'm going to stick it in this light socket because I'm, so we, 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 you know, we have to, we have to be the same thing as adults. We have to be the same way. And I think, I think things will get better. I think the situation of the whole coronavirus is going to get better. It looks, it looks grim right now and it's very gloomy. It's very frustrating because obviously in California, we've been hit really hard, but, um, but uh, in every bad situation, situation, there's something good. And I think a lot of people, if you notice, are becoming more health conscious. You know, I mean, that's why people are buying equipment and they're trying to figure out like, hey, how can I eat better? And I'm, and I love seeing that because obviously health and fitness is a big part, is a huge part of my life, big part of my life. And, and we want to try to live as long as we possibly can, because it's, it's, it's not that it's guaranteed because nothing's guaranteed in life. But um, if you, but it's like, if you have a car and you have car insurance, it's like you have the insurance just in case because it's in case you get an accident. We work out, eat right, take the right vitamins and minerals, whatnot, just in case like something like this virus happens, this virus comes along, or any virus for that matter, that we could be able to fight it off and uh, and and not and not just pass away, like a lot of people that happened in Italy and in New York and many many other 
countries around the world. So, yeah, you t- I mean, touched on a lot there, but I think it's a very positive outlook. And I think you've seen so much. Yeah, I mean, society, we have a lot of problems, right? But you've seen also, like, I think most people, would you agree with this? Or maybe it's too simplistic. But I'd say most people are good, but maybe everybody can do good and bad. I mean, you've seen this with your sister, right? You loved her probably more than anything, and she did this horrific act. So we want to have less right. horrific acts. And then, obviously, society as a whole, like, we maybe don't learn as quickly as your kids with the fork in the socket. Society has right. these structural problems that have held down black people for since the history of America. But well, we've been suppressed. After, I mean, you go back yeah. to the indentured servants in the 1600s. And, and then, I mean, obviously, when you had Europeans and you had Africans working together, trying to come to America and just even the terminology with the word black, where it even comes from. And and but it was like that, even the term black, people realize that was like more of a derogatory term that was used to put down. Uh, put down like um, African people like, hey, you're black, you're bad. And the Europeans like, hey, I'm, you know, you're white, you're good. And, and, then, and then when that happened, then obviously slavery happened and, you know, 250 years in America, four, I think close to 400 years worldwide. And but then that was abolished. And then you had segregation. I mean, you look at all those things and instead of us saying, instead of a society as a world, like, you know, like that, hey, we're all human beings. We all should work together. We can all, we can all have great jobs. We can make money and, and, and we can, and we can, uh, we can just enjoy life together. It's like it's we overlook the simplistic things. I mean, I think, you know, Albert Einstein said, when you can take something complicated and make it seem simple, that's genius. I think we make things too complicated in life, and everybody's like, people they're so greedy, and that's what happened. I think within the track and field world with the doping is that is that athletes are like, well, I want to take the whole pie, and I'm like, okay, you can have a piece of the pie, and still you can have everything that you want. Everything that you ever imagined, you still can have your medal. You can still make money, have your notoriety, all this. But they're like, hey, I want to take all of it. I just want a piece. That's all I want. Just want my little piece. That's it. My little piece of the pie. Be able to just enjoy my life. You know, take care of my family, help other people. That's all I want. And and you talk about bad. We all have bad in us. Like we all screw up. We're going to continue to screw up the day we die. I screw up. My wife will tell you that. She's like, hey, he dropped the ball and. You know, you fall, you get back up, you keep taking steps forward, you have accountability. I've done this wrong. How can I do it better? And and I think if we have that type of attitude um, and we think before we act, I mean, you know, like I said, things, our, our world will start healing instead of instead of being so bruised up or continue to be bruised and 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 battered. Yeah, I guess if we not tolerate mistakes, but realize we make mistakes and improve to be better in our daily lives. I think you're kind of your track career. You had these, then you'd come back. You know, it's like a, it's a message we all can hear. It's it's not a. I think sometimes we want to make it look like it's you're either successful or you're not. You know, it's like smooth sailing for the people on the top and everyone else it sucks. You know, or, you know, it's like it's life is so much more complicated than that. No, you're right. Well, and I think we just have to keep it organic, right? Just keep just be original, just be authentic. I think that's probably with social media. It's like everybody on social media wants to take the right. You know, they want to take the right picture. You don't have all these followers, have all these likes. And I get that's cool when I know you want to be this influencer. You want to get all these endorsements. I get that. But but then it's, it, but what good is that when you have everything? And then then all of a sudden, like you go commit suicide. The person you find out they committed suicide or they're alcoholic or they're just or they, you know, they, they're, they have domestic. They have issues with their wife or husband, domestic violence issues. You start peeling the layers back. We all have problems. We all have issues. We're all because we're all human. That's and that's OK. 
But I think it's, it's all a matter of how we handle our issues. And <clears throat> it's like, I have them, but do I go out there and just start, you know, I'm going to start shooting up people and treating people bad. Like we, we treat people how we want to be treated. And I think if we put ourselves in other people's shoes, we'll be more empathetic to people. And, and that's what I try to think about myself personally. It's like, whatever I'm telling you guys, I tell myself and uh, like, if I see something going on, was well, like, how could I help that person? How could I, you know, how, how, could, how could I find a solution so we can fix this? You know, I got to fix myself uh, or get the right people in my life. Cause that's nothing. We can't do it by ourselves. It's like, I have lifelines and that's what I've learned. I can call my coach, call my pastor. I call so many different people when I'm struggling and, 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 and they're gonna be like, and they're not going to be yes people. They're going to get in my face and, and love and tell me, Hey, you're wrong. This is what you need to do. Cause they want me to be better. They care about me. People that just tell you what you tell you. I mean, they, they're always agreeing with you. They don't really care about you. <laughs> they don't really love you. <laughs> they don't. Cause you're not, we're not always doing the right things. <laughs> and I know I'm not. <laughs> I don't know about you guys. I know I'm not. Your comment about your wife calling you out. I actually feel better. When my wife's calling me out, that means she loves me, right? Right. Yeah, she loves you. Yeah, I mean, you know, you're not going to always say the right things and do the right things. I mean, my, it, it doesn't happen. I mean, my wife, she's quick to be like, no, I, I don't agree with that. I don't agree with that statement. <laughs> so I love that feedback, though. Well, hopefully people can get off Instagram to read your book. Can, can you pre-order it now? Like when's the drop date? How, how can people get, get the book? Yeah, so we had a little bit. So we, we were going to have a July 14th pre-release, but the whole COVID kind of pushed things back with the publisher, my publisher. And uh, so I'm going to like, we're hoping that maybe like close to the end of July, we'll have a pre-release and then the release date maybe uh, early August or maybe before. We don't know yet because uh, we just, we're just, we're, we have to finalize a lot of, um, things in my book, uh, get permission for, um, pictures, whatnot. And, and so, but, uh, it's, it's, it's coming, it's, it's coming very, very soon. And, and I'm super excited, uh, super excited to share with you guys. And I mean, I, I appreciate well, and I appreciate you, Jonathan, because I mean, I know there's a lot of people you guys can interview and I know your time is precious and, and all of our time is precious, but I, uh, I just, I want to just be able to help as many people as I possibly can. And, and I do look back at my life, Weldon. I look back at all the things I screwed up, you know, I screwed up in and, and things I've done. And, and I'm just like, well, how could I get better? Always, how could I get better? That's, that's, that's my goal every single day. Yeah. I think you've definitely lived that. I mean, I'm like, oh, screwed up. He had this great story. But like, even like way at the beginning, when you didn't go to Oregon for football, that was your dream. You could have been pissed off and been like, that's it, man. Yeah. Instead, you became a world champion in the track. Okay, yeah, you didn't win the Olympics, but it's pretty amazing just the twists and turns and your outlook and your positivity. I think a lot of people could learn from it. Yeah, they could. I mean, you know, and I will say this about, I'm going to tell you this, after after I missed out making the Olympic team in 04, I, 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 had, I was really, I was frustrated. And, and I, had to, I had to really think about this, guys. Let me tell you this, is that the Olympics and the world championships, they're not any different. Yeah, one comes two years, others four years. And I say that is because the previous year in 03, I'm on top of the world. I'm the fastest one meter run in the world, right? And then all of a sudden, I mean, not not you know, not by my doing, but then I get Achilles tendonitis and I get knocked out of the 04 Olympics because I'm I don't I don't make the team. But I look at, at that point in time when I missed out, I'm like, you know what? I'm the fastest four hundred meter run in the world. I can't go to another. I mean, it's like, it's not like I can go to another. I mean, it's like I go to another world. It's like I'm the fastest four meter in the world. So it's at the Olympics. There's not aliens or another planet comes to the, comes down to our planet 
and battle our athletes, right? They're the same athletes. And I think that's why I want to, I've, I've talked about this before on podcasts is that I think the world champions and Olympics, should, they, they need to get the same recognition, recognition. I know they put more money in the Olympics, more marketing, all those stuff is on TV, it's everywhere, but you can't get bigger than the world. And it's almost like when you say Olympics and I, and I, this played in my heart for years. I'm like, why do I get like, if people always ask me about the Olympics, you didn't make the Olympics, you didn't medal. But I'm like, I was the best in the world. I can't get, I can't get bigger than the world unless I go to another planet. And so I think, I, I, you know, I always tell like the you know, United States Olympic Committee and many other people out there is that, you know, treat the world champions like you treat the Olympians. It's just because it's the same thing. They have Olympic Day. They should have a world champion Olympic Day. It should be the same exact thing to lift them up. Because if you can medal at that level uh, and, and be on top of the world, it's, it's rare. I mean, it's like Kenny Harrison. She was getting ready for Olympic trials. She clipped a hurdle. She went down. But then she goes to Europe and she breaks the world record. She was just, it happened to me that she just, she didn't put a, put a, put a race together. Uh, but, but I don't know. It's like when you're like, like I said, when you're on top of the world, you can't get bigger than that. I mean, unless to me, if you tell me that at the Olympics, these athletes are on their, their, their robotic or everybody's just juiced out of their mind. And that's why it's, the Olympics is so superior. It's the same platform. <laughs> it's the same platform to me. So that's just, that's just my, t- that's just my take on it. Cause you know, I, I, I don't know. I just, there's, there's been times of like when you, you get treated differently because you're not Olympian. So it's almost like kind of like you're segregated. And I'm like, we shouldn't do that. We should just be like, hey, this guy's a world champion. She's a world champion. She medal- she's a world champion medalist. Uh, you're on top of the world at the Olympics. Same platform, same thing, different names. So just try to keep it simple, guys. That's all. No, I agreed. <laughs> I, I, I've never thought about compiling a list of world champions who never made the Olympics. But yeah. <laughs> You can say you're the best in the world at something. I mean, if you think about that, that's just truly amazing. Well, what do you say at the Olympics, right? Think about this, the world at the Olympics. I mean, you think about it, you say, you, you say Olympic champion, right? But, but in reality, they're the best in the world. There's, it's still the world. It, it, you, I mean, there's nothing else. I mean, you can't go anywhere else. So it's the exact same thing. So If you're the best in the world in 2003 versus 2004, like it's crazy how much more society puts on one than the other. But you know why? Because they just, they're just misinformed. That's all it is. That's all, you know, we, we, we know better. We, I mean, we know, but, but yeah, you bring a good point though. Uh, great, great point. Great point. Well, we'll keep smiling and uh, I look forward to reading the book. Thank you. Well, I appreciate you guys. Yeah. Just make sure you pick up my book. Uh, like I said, soon coming out against all odds and, and uh, you can hit me up on Instagram uh, at the real, uh, Tyree S. Washington. And just, uh, you know, you can look at all my posts I put up on my, my, uh, on my positive posts and pictures of my family and all the things that I'm doing. So, but, uh, appreciate you guys, Weldon and Jonathan, you guys be safe out there and, and, uh, keep doing what you're doing. I love it. You too. Thanks Tyree. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye.